that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Undercast, where we do not what we're doing today at all. It's a very special episode for you. That's right, and this special episode is going to be our best of 2017, our best, our most favorite, our most preferred, our most enjoyed films released in 2017. It's a 2017 rap party brought to you by movies. Movies. They're candy for your eyes. Do I have to do a synopsis for everything? No, you do not. Every (laughs) single one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Arthur's going to be needing some uh, cough drops by the end of the the show. So um, I guess we'll just go ahead. Uh, let's introduce ourselves at least. Who yeah. are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon, and we're talking a lot of movies that I didn't find a quote from any of them for. All right. There you go. Uh, who are you, sir? My name is Dalton Stewart, and I, I don't know, uh, Patrick Stewart swearing. <laughs> okay. My name's Dustin Sells, and I would have voted for Obama for a third term. <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> Patrick Stewart Swearing is the name of my punk band (laughs) Fuck yeah baby Um, So yeah we're going to talk about uh, some of the best films Or our favorite films of 2017 I have an experimental jazz band Called Obama's Third Term (laughs) Honestly it's kind of a great name for a band (laughs) Especially if you're doing something like really subversive and interesting Uh, Yeah it's it's that time of the year Um, The Oscar nominations are probably going to be out by the time you hear this uh, but this is just for us. You know, we we watched a lot of movies in 2017, and uh, as you know, if you're a regular listener, we don't normally talk new releases on this show, but, uh, you know, it's just a thing we really enjoy doing together. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, that it's time, time once again. It's a thing that we do. So let's do that thing that we should, do. Should we tell them a little bit about what the format's going to be like for this um, Arthur, you want to clip fast and loose? Should we warn them? So we're gonna do our uh, we're doing our top ten, and we're gonna break that down with a quick and loose ten through six uh, at the top of the show, and then we're gonna go through some different categories, uh, hidden gems, and uh, you know, overrated, and those kind of typical things you'll see, maybe best performance, things like that, and then we're gonna wrap it up with our top five and go a little more in depth on those as uh, we wrap the show. So no, no games, no, this is all a game. This, this whole episode is just a one big game because we like to talk about yeah, stuff. Once upon a time, uh, the top films of 2017 were just a game on an episode. Yeah. And, uh, there's just too much to talk about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, uh, yeah, traditionally, uh, usually the last movie of anti-trash is where we would, uh, typically look at a well-received 27 or year in release and then, uh, do a top five of the year on that, but this year we're going to uh, do a standoff thing, something that happened last year with Good Trash Presents, uh, the best of 2016, where it was kind of broken up and expounded on. We're going to kind of keep that up this back year. Back in those, uh, when we had uh, Back to the Movies going uh, yeah. weekly, but uh, yeah, we, we had such a good time doing that, uh, that even though Back to the Movies isn't a show on the network anymore, uh, we're just going to do it again. Yeah, it was yeah. a ton of fun. 
And uh, there were so many movies, we uh, thought we'd want to expound on a lot more than five. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and open up then with our 10 through 6 ratings. I'm going to go to you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Let's hear you. 10 through 6, what are they? All right. Starting with number 10, I've got Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, his wonderful, fun, genre-bending fantasy sci-fi whatever you want to call it uh fun fishman movie uh number nine i've got the bonkers buck wild beautiful good time mm. uh at number them safety brothers oh wow yeah um, so yeah that, that's one i'm really bummed i didn't make room for in my oh, top yeah. 10 it's a it's a interestingly good time at number uh, <laughs> eight i have raw uh the french belgium horror body horror uh cannibalism movie which was just a great time uh at number seven or numbers yeah number seven i oh i I got something in my throat at number seven um at number six i've got (laughs) at number seven i have i really thought you were just gonna not tell (laughs) us i have uh colossal at number seven yeah man Um, and then at number six i have aronofsky's mother those are my top uh those are my six through tens all righty, that's the 6 through 10 from Arthur Gordon. The 6 through 10 from Dalton Stewart follows now. Starting at number 10, we have Julia Ducarneau's Ducar- French names, Raw. Uh, yeah. As we uh, talked about back in October. yeah, we talked a lot about that movie, so you can go listen to us there. Yeah. Uh, I-, I like that movie just as much as Arthur. Number 9, we have D. Reese's Mudbound, which you just heard us talk about last week. Yep. That is the late entry. I mean, it kicked... Uh, who it kicked Brigsby Bear out of my top ten. I, liked that. I know it was hard. It was hard to cut Brigsby, but yeah. man, Mudbound is just at a higher level. Yeah. It just really is. And again, the, these lists are totally subjective. I mean, sure, yeah. I, I changed mine probably four times before I locked. I've been it in. grappling with mine for weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's been really hard. So just keep that in mind. At number eight. The film that I wish I was going to get to talk more about, John Wick Chapter 2. <laughs> the, Sorry, buddy. The action film of the year. At number seven, we have Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, a movie about love that was so touching that I had to text my fiance immediately afterwards and just let her know how much she means to me. And finally, at number six, another great movie about love, but a film much more about loss and meditations on time. That's a ghost story, which uh, yeah. easily... Uh, one of the most bonkers movies of the year uh, because it's the film where you watch Rooney Mara eat an entire pie. Uh, I saw somebody say that um, a ghost story is what dreams may come for hipsters. That Okay, I can see that. Okay. I, I don't know if I've that, never seen what dreams may come, but I'm aware of it. I've seen both movies, and I'm like, ah, oh, maybe yes or so. Uh, a ghost story so good. I like it a lot myself, although it's not on my list, but I liked it a lot, too. Dustin, what are your 10 through 6? My 10 through 6 are number 10, um, Petra Epperlein's Karl Marx City. It's a documentary. Uh, now, did this actually come out in 2017? It because did. you're known to cheat on these. I, I did. No, this, this, this is <laughs> he a... He runs on the British time schedule, so uh, mm-hmm. some this of those 2016s This is a there. 2017. Yeah, get Out's going to make his top films of 2018. <laughs> uh, my rule is if it got its limited release in the United States in 2017. And that okay. means it could have been released earlier in other countries, but yeah. it has that's to, my cutoff as well. Yeah. 2017 U.S. releases only. Yeah, Raw so, had a 2016 European release. So, uh, yeah, uh, Epperline uh, does a great job telling the story about her father committed a suicide and uh, trying to figure out why it is that he might have done that with the possibility that he was a Stasi informant. And so it is a uh, interesting uh, look into a city under the
the uh, Eastern uh, German uh, GDR uh, time period. It's got a great editing uh, between those things. It's beautifully shot in black and white. It's a movie I recommend a lot that nobody saw. So that's my number 10. Number 9 is Columbus, uh, which yep. is a great little film. Heard a lot of good things about that. Um, it's a love story about architecture, about modernist architecture. Starring uh, John Cho, who uh, I am always happy to see. He's great. He's um, gorgeous. And there's a Culkin brother in it, and uh, which is weird, and he does a great job. Yeah. And uh, it is a pretty, pretty film. It is very, very well shot, and it is an interesting conversation about modernism and about you know fathers and all that kind of stuff. So I like Columbus a lot at number nine. Number eight is Mudbound, uh, which we just talked about on our last episode. It's a movie I loved, and so it's just – and you can hear my words about that stuff there. Number seven is Lady Macbeth, uh, a Wuthering Heights directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It is a great movie, and uh, it is um, connected little thriller and i loved it uh and uh, let's see here that's number seven right number six then finally is get out and i'm sure we'll hear more about that movie later perhaps and it's a good movie and i liked it a ton so there you are that's six through ten we got to move on though and talk about our other sort of fun categories the first being best story concept the film that you just love the idea of what they were doing for making the film what is your uh, best story concept idea mr arthur gordon well i went out a little out of my comfort zone for this one uh this was a movie i'd heard a lot of buzz about but it's not in my wheelhouse at all uh because it's an anime film and it is the 2017 release your name obviously it's 2017 release all these are um but uh this is a unless you're dustin yeah unless you're dustin um who's still in 2015 uh, your name is That's just very hurtful. a interesting it it takes the body switching trope uh that can be kind of played out or kind of cliche and and not really well used and it, it does some great stuff with that as well as some uh interesting time travel stuff and so it's doing some interesting genre stuff and, and mixing those things together and i think through its use of animation allows that to work in a very magical way that a live action film wouldn't allow for and it it marries those concepts and presents a very emotional and endearing film with some heart uh, that I think is just great. It's very powerful. It's very close to cracking my top ten. It's a really good movie. And I I just love the concept of taking something that's kind of been played with, and usually for comedic effect. I think a lot of Free Friday or I think of Hot Chick, I think, is the one with um, Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider uh, and, and uh, uh, very young Rachel McAdams. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's usually played for kind of those laughs. And, and, and some of those same things happen here in, in your name, you know, some of the obvious kind of body humor things that you might expect. But uh, it really, really takes those and it adds a really human element and a really emotional core and, and, and builds these characters that you are very endeared towards. And I think it, it does a great job with that, that concept of I, I think a lot of it as, uh, hmm, let's say, Hot Chick meets The Lake House, if you've ever seen the huh, okay. Okay. the critically acclaimed <laughs> romantic <laughs> comedy, The Lake House. There are some defenders uh, hey, of The Lake House. There you go. But I, I think it, it, that's kind of the, the basic logline, I'd say. It's, it's The Hot Chick meets The Lake House, and I think it does something very fascinating with that idea. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, Dalton Stewart, what was your favorite concept for a film this year? Uh, well, very strong consideration went to Colossus, which was on Arthur's uh, 10 through 6. Uh, just for the way it subverts and inverts uh, rom-com uh, tropes while also engaging with kaiju movies. And uh, I really enjoyed that film. But I went for something much smaller and simpler. Uh, and I went for uh, The Big Sick, 
uh, written by Kamel Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon, directed by Michael Showalter, um, because that is a story I already knew. I've been a big fan of Kamel and Emily's uh, from their podcast that they hosted together about video games, The Indoor Kids, uh, and their appearances on um, You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes. So I was very, I've, I've been a big fan of both of them for quite a while. Um, so I was aware of this story because I'd heard them tell it before, and I had uh, heard them first talking about writing this story together. So to follow this story um, from them first publicly hearing them publicly talk about it to hearing they were going to get to write a movie to seeing it get picked up by Amazon, like watching this production happen was so exciting for me. Um, it, it, it is always exciting to get to watch a film come to fruition when you're excited about a project in that early stage of pre-production. So getting to see the big sick, uh, come to life was, was really incredible. And it was a film that I very narrowly missed my top 10. I think it ended up at number uh, 13 or 14, uh, 14, uh, is where it ended up on my uh, top 20 list. Um, just a wonderful film full of really beautiful storytelling, uh, full of very intimate portrayals of, falling in love with your better half's family and coming to terms with how to be honest with your own family about who you are and what you want from your life. And uh, something that really resonated with me in a film I got to watch with my mother, which was really cool to watch a, a film that is so much about um, Kumail's relationship with his parents and, and his, uh, his now wife's parents. Um, getting to watch that with my mom uh, was really kind of awesome. Um, and I also got to watch it with uh, my fiance. I've seen this movie three times now and um uh, yeah, it just it's really stuck with me. And, uh, again, it's a story, uh, a love story that I'd already fallen in love with. So getting to see it uh, portrayed dramatically was was really special. So that is my favorite story concept for the year is The Big Sick. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Now, I'm, my favorite concept is a film that nobody saw. and uh, but I want Yeah, we're going to be hearing those words a lot tonight. I, I, I want to give you the setup, <laughs> though. All right. It is a, a doctor recently divorced, mm -hmm. and so his life's sort of in shambles, and he is a um, – one of the major procedures that he does are proctology, um, you know, uh, rectal exams. Yeah, well, yeah I know what that is. Okay. And he, <laughs> while people are under sedation for the way in which they do these rectal exams, uh, they um, confess and speak strange truths. I heard of this. What is this called? Um, and uh, lots of strange truths, one of whom ends up being his landlord, who perhaps confesses to being a serial murderer. And what? then investigations and madness happens in this sort of – a contemporary film noir meets Twin Peaks with this batty dialogue and the slow descent into madness. It's a Korean film directed by uh, Soon Yoon Lee called Bluebeard. And I think I have heard uh, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I heard this uh, on Film Spotting SVU, maybe. Isn't entirely perfect, but it is really, really fun. It is just a really, really neat idea. And yeah. it's a very well plotted film. Yeah. And so uh, the ways in which uh, it has its twists and turns uh, and the big reveals at the end are really, really exciting. Well, you got me interested. So. Yeah. I want to check that shit yeah, out. Check out Bluebeard, guys. It's a lot of fun. So that was my favorite concept film of 2017. We move on to our next uh, uh, category, which is uh, best. For, mm -hmm. It is best performance. It is best performance. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I know reading card. <laughs> I got to move my phone around. Very <laughs> yeah, we're, all, we're all flipping back and forth between a whole bunch of lists right now. <laughs> so it is, it is indeed a best performance. <laughs> 
my performance um, right now is a little underwhelming, but we're going to move on to Arthur Gordon. He's going to tell us what's the best performance you saw in Man, this is a tough category oh, to buddy. narrow down to one performance. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't have time to do like 18 different acting categories. But what a stellar year for performances. Oh, yeah. Across the board. Across the board. But I'm going to give one to uh, love to one from really early in the year, and that is Sir Patrick Stewart in Logan, um, who brings such a new interesting twist to this character we've seen like 10 times now yeah across the x-men universe um but he brings such ethos and heart and tragedy to this character and he's able to do a little more with it and and we see this hero who had such great aspirations in his fragile state dealing with this you know mental disease that he's coming down and seems to have something akin to alzheimer's or or something similar to that and it's caused him so much pain and and he's living in this bleak world and and he just doesn't know how to cope at times and he doesn't know how to engage anymore it seems and the the the, the, he's got this last glimmer of hope that he's holding Mm -hmm. on to that he hopes he can still for one last time save a, a a new generation and and until his kind of spoiler alert final breath he he's giving it all and, and Stewart brings so much to that role and i think what what that film and so many films in 2017 have going through them what for them whether through serendipity or just storytellers having their finger on the pulse 2017 is a year of films about people who want a better world and see their inability to make that world happen. Yeah. Um, and again, in a year that was chock full of bad shit. Hopelessness. A year full of hopelessness. We had a lot of films engaging with optimists living in a hopeless world. And uh, I think Sir yeah. Patrick Stewart is a great example of one of the performances uh, of that uh, feeling and of that story. Yeah, he, he killed me. I yeah. loved it. Uh, it's a beautiful performance and a great movie. And so that's my pick. Dalton, what is your choice for best performance of 2017 well strong honorable mention goes to um uh holly hunter and ray romano oh. and the previously mentioned big oh. sick yeah i know holly hunter is getting so much pra- and, and much deserved she's great ray romano they're both so good is killing in that film well and again uh th- this is gonna be a, i'm gonna talk about personal shit a lot on this list because yeah. these lists are personal um i uh proposed to my longtime girlfriend this year mm-hmm. and watching the big sick knowing early you know in that summer knowing that by the end of the year i'd probably be proposing to my girlfriend watching the story about a man falling in love with uh, people who might end up being who ended up being his in-laws yeah man it really resonated with me because yeah. that's a feeling i i can relate to very strongly like yeah. i falling in love with the love that uh my, my girlfriend's parents have for each other uh, my fiance's parents have for each other now um so that, that's that's a feeling that really uh, I, I connected with, and, and just seeing those two performers who I've loved for so long really kind of well, – Holly Hunter is kind of playing into her type a little bit. Ray Romano's also playing – they're both playing into and out of the types that they normally yeah. play, which is really great. But the actual pick for me is going to be uh, the one and only Saoirse Ronan in Lady Bird, uh, yeah. just a performance that is so amazing, and, and – the the one moment that I always get you see a lot in the trailers for Lady Bird, but it's one of my favorites. Uh, Lady Bird is that your given name? Yes. Why is it in quotes? It's my given name. I gave it to me. Like it just her patter is so good. Yeah, and she really just uh, highlights so many beautiful 
and frustrating qualities about this character that she's playing. Uh, and again, you know, you'll see a lot uh, of the talk around this film being that it is kind of a semi-autobiographical tale of uh, a Greta Gerwig's time as a high school student yeah. in Sacramento. And um, you can see that. You can see those you know, those nuggets of what you know about Greta Gerwig as an actor. You can see those nuggets of her, the way she is as an actress in Saoirse Ronan's performance, which kind of adds like another level of fascination to it for me. Uh, and again, Saoirse Ronan's an actress I've loved a lot. Yeah. Uh, Brooklyn from yep. 2016 uh, or 2015. 2015. Uh, that was one of my favorite performances yeah. of that year. So I, I've been a big fan of uh, Saoirse for as long as she's been in movies. But yeah. uh, for me, it was like, oh, man, this is the one. This is the one, man. If you have been sleeping, uh, now's the time to wake up because she's just going to keep getting better. Yeah. Dustin? All righty. Well, so um, I want to give an honorable mention as well to uh, Mr. Jackie Chan for The Foreigner. He's Man, he's good. Uh, he is so good in playing against type, and I just think it's, it's very, very impressive. But, I mean, as far as, like, the big sort of acting chops, it's not really there, you know, because it is much more action and uh, those kind of things. But I just want to say, man, I really was impressed with his performance. But I also have a selection from Lady Bird, but I'm picking Laurie Metcalf. I'm picking good Mom. Uh, Laurie Metcalf's good. Because it's it's so believable. It, yeah. I, it, she really does inhabit this character, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a real strength to the way that she plays it, the the way that she can look haggard and worn, the way that she can demonstrate love and frustration, you know, and have degrees of those going on on her face and in her body language the whole time uh, she is on screen with Saoirse Ronan. It's just really, really impressive stuff. And I, I you know, I, I love Saoirse. Don't get me wrong, but for me, the standout performance really was Mom. It was it was Laurie, yeah. and uh, so um, that would be my favorite performance of 2017 so we got to move on down to our list and if anybody finds it first they can say what it is well next up is our favorite hidden gems from 2017 so arthur what what is that diamond under the rough that you you saw and want to bring to the world and show people look at this beautiful thing that you you overlooked yeah uh, I, i'm a huge fan of parks and rec right mm -hmm. and audrey plaza is just <sighs> fantastic on that show and and she did several projects this year, and one of them was Ingrid Goes West. Man, <laughs> that movie. <laughs> that movie, I think, is such a product of our time. It, it, is, a, it is a low-tech, low feature-length episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Yeah. And the way it's put together and the way it, it speaks to our generation of being so socially plugged in and wanting to be accepted and wanting to be liked and deals with all that as well as dealing with some other, you know, kind of health mental health issues and things like that and putting that all kind of center stage in a year where i think that's really important uh and audrey plaza just gives a heartbreaking performance in this movie that's tragedy and black comedy and social commentary and i think it's vitally important right now in, in our time and, and she's supported by a, a great cast with elizabeth olsen and, and help me with this uh, O'Shea jackson, jackson jr and, and wyatt russell yeah, yeah. And, and, great great supporting cast but it 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 hits all the right notes for me, and I think it's one that didn't get seen uh, quite as much as I'd hoped. And uh, I, I'm really glad I was able to catch up with it because it, it really uh, it, it hits all the things. Yeah, for it was, me. And, and it was in both of our top twenties. Yeah, yeah. And so I I I, I would highly urge you know uh, walking out of this episode if you haven't seen Ingrid Goes West, that's one you have to and, add and to your watch list. A lot of people like had. Uh, there seemed to be big interest in this movie, and it just – I don't know a lot of people that found the time for yeah. it uh, in, in my circle of, of movie-going friends. So, yeah, I, I would also strongly urge people to catch up with it. Yeah. 
All righty. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What was your favorite hidden gem, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Well, um, Dustin, you've already mentioned it. It's The Foreigner. Um, oh, yeah. it, it, it really is so good. I like that movie a it, lot. It is a very high-level B movie. It, it, there's a lot of problems with it. It's about three or four different movies, and they never coalesce into a, a really solid narrative. But, man, it's just it, – what it is trying to engage with is really interesting. The, the morality of violence, the, the idea of, you know, people in the highest echelons of power having their own skeletons. And, oh, man, and just the way it inverts so many roles that Jackie Chan has done throughout his life, the way it inverts so many roles that Pierce Brosnan has done throughout his life. I mean, it really is – just a great little action movie. And I also do want to get a, a little bit of love to the Frank Grillo vehicle Wheelman uh, that Netflix put out. I mean, those are two just really under-the-radar action movies from 2017 that I, I think if, if you're a big uh, action nut like I am, they're, oof, they're worth catching up on uh, for sure. I feel like Dustin's list is probably filled with hidden gems, uh, just knowing what he watches. So I'm interested to see what he picks for this. Well, my hidden gem is probably a movie a lot of people saw, but not enough people saw. <laughs> and I don't think enough people loved. And that's Detroit by Catherine, uh, okay. Catherine Bigelow's loves Detroit. There are some defenders of yeah, I'm, it. It's being so problematic kind of got it swept under the radar, I think. But I know you were not the only person who does like it. I think it's a great achievement. What were you going to say, Arthur? Well, oh, here's the weirdest thing for me. I honestly thought Detroit was a 2016 release. It feels like it came out that long ago. It was just like the summer. It was August, yeah. Mm-hmm. But for for some reason mentally, I feel like it came out like a year and a half ago. And so I kind of forgot about it. And then I was like, oh, hey, it's on Blu-ray. Oh, well, I, I missed my chance. I was so excited to see it when I first heard the buzz about it. I think it's really an achievement, especially in terms of editing. I think performances are very, very good as well. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But in terms of editing, the way in which she is able to uh, integrate footage from the Detroit riots and also the uh, the filmed footage of the actors playing the roles. Uh, John Boyega is doing a great job. And others – I mean everybody's doing a fantastic job th- throughout the film. And to take this very, very short, very, very stressful moment and to frame it and then to go ahead and speak a little bit about its end and to talk about a bit of American history that, that we frequently do not talk about and something that i think is very very timely um i know again the debates about whether bigelow's the right voice for speaking these words and that kind of stuff and i get that but i i and I, I think those conversations There's a lot are of important really interesting conversations on both sides of the argument that i've read and i read so many that i was just like i guess i don't need to see the movie now like i kind of that's why i never caught up with it honestly but it's a really good movie i okay. mean it's, it's a really really well-made film all those issues aside it's a very very well-made film it's in no way tone deaf you know in terms of its own approach i don't think and uh, again, it just a, a editing achievement uh, in terms of what's going on, and then just the way it's shot. It's just it's a very very well made film that I really wish more people had seen because I really like Detroit a lot. And so that would be my hidden gem of 2017. Up right. next are our biggest appoint biggest disappointment our biggest appointments a biggest appointment uh, uh, with that proctologist the, the, from uh, the, the film Bluebeard. that you you just had to spend the most time trying to get to the theaters our biggest disappointments of 2017 <laughs> the the film that you were so excited for and were so sad to see it not come together Arthur. What's your first, uh, your biggest disappointment? I think mine might resonate with a, a lot of people's, and it is uh, Stephen King's The Dark Tower. I, I think yeah. this was a movie that it's been built up for so long. It's you know it was trapped in the production hell for so long about I, how it's going to get a made. And yeah, yeah. If, if not longer, and, and you know, twenty seventeen was the year Stephen King's grand vision, one of his most lauded works, was going to come to the screen. In not a, one, but two. 
Yeah, and and in a year, I mean, this guy's riding a wave of of seeing his works being made into you know very interesting films and stuff. You know, we had a lot of great adaptation of Stephen King work. We had the Hulu series Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three, and then we yeah, had from last year it, and we had Gerald's Game, and we had all this stuff really happening. And, and he became uh, Mister Mercedes, I think, did uh, somewhat critically well as well. And then there was the the Mist got remade on on Spike TV, and so this guy's riding this huge wave, and then so kind of the capstone should be the dark tower and we put together a great cast and then it just is a fumble in the end zone right i mean this movie gets released and it's a mess and it doesn't know what it's doing and it just it's it's a reboot but it's a sequel and it's a launching a franchise and it doesn't make sense and they jump the shark and in, in the plotting and it doesn't work and it just misses on every level when it should have been this really unique, interesting fantasy Western mashup. Would you say, Arthur, that um, the film The Dark Tower has forgotten the face of its father? I think so. <laughs> I think that's fair. Nicely played. Uh, so, yeah, that that is my biggest disappointment. Let's flip the script. Dustin, what was your biggest disappointment oh, of 2017? Shit. Changing it up. Changing up the order. My biggest disappointment was Wonder Woman. Uh, and I, you I, said this off air. I now, don't understand this. I don't, let's let's yeah. get into this one. Okay, representation matters, and I'm glad it exists. But this movie could have been better. It could have been so much better. And uh, there, there's numerous problems with it, but... In the end, she still ends up being motivated by her love for her boyfriend that makes her want to go ahead and fight and kill all the bad guys. Not to mention the Native American character whose only useful purpose in the entire film is to make smoke signals. Okay? Yeah, that was pretty fucked up. Yeah, it, it could have been great, and it was just okay. And I, I think for me, the reason I, I disagree with you, because while, yeah, the third act becomes a very standard superhero yes. origin story, and that doesn't work for me. That middle section in the trenches really elevates the entire film. And uh, honestly, the the opening act on Themyscira is really great. Uh, and then that, that scene in the trenches uh, for me just, oh, man. See, I guess th- this is like a reverse Gerald's game, back to our Gerald's game mm-hmm. conversation, where I love the first two acts of it enough that I could excuse its last act. For this one, I hated the last act so much I can't help. Whereas I'm of the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where with Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's an inverse of the Gerald's game dilemma that we had this year. It reminds me a lot of, uh, uh, and you know, just narratively speaking, I, I, I think a lot of uh, Wolverine, um, which really sets up uh, this really interesting character study of Logan, uh, of of his kind of tragic history mm-hmm. and this kind of inner turmoil he has. You're and talking about 2009's? Yeah, the Wolverine. The, oh, uh, from... The Wolverine. The Wolverine. Yeah, the, yeah, the Man- first James Mangold yeah. Wolverine movie. Which I loved. It's a good yeah. one. Uh, but when we get to that third act, it really becomes this... Pretty standard So cliche superhero film. But Wonder Woman, you know, on a grander scale because we've got more eyes and, and you know, politically speaking, it's a different... It was just such an opportunity and it was squandered. And uh, that that and again, I do love that there is a woman superhero on screen. Do not get me wrong. And I know you like the movie. Yeah, and you I just, like it. But you it, just wish it had been better. It really let me down. Okay. I, re- I really wanted so much more from it, and I did not get what I was coming for. What's interesting is there are uh, more than a few people who are uh, it's whose uh, top tens and top twenties it's cracking. So uh, mm. and again, I, I I'm not well versed enough in the really great defenses of it to uh, offer any of them up for you, but. Uh, Fair enough. Could have been better. That's all. It is, and it should have been. So there you go, uh, dear listener, on that. What's our next category? Uh, hey, doing? I haven't gotten Yeah, yet. you just skipped over Dalton. 
Oh, oh, Dalton. That's right. well. You skipped over me. You messed up the order. Man. I know. Yeah, he's keeping a wrench in the plan. You're keeping everybody on their toes. You're the monkey in the wrench, man. The biggest disappointment of 2017 for me is another two. Whew, there's a lot of ties in here, uh, and it's just because because you just want to say everything you can. Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to go ahead and give a nod to Adam Wingard's Death Note on Netflix. Man, like that. You told me Adam Wingard's doing anything, and I'm excited. Yeah, uh, and then. Early on, like, there, there was a, this conversation about the transposition of the story from Tokyo to Seattle and whether that constituted whitewashing. And I, I'm in the camp. I'm not the only person in this camp. I don't feel like it is because it was trying to do something different. And what it almost did was tell a story about white male entitlement. And it, it walked up to that making that point so many times and just fucked it up every single time. And spoiler alert, uh, the girlfriend's the bad guy. Like, And that's just not the most interesting version of that story. The most interesting version of that story is saying, hey, you know what's really interesting? Uh, what if Death Note was a white kid? Well, that's just a story about a school shooter. And that is an interesting story. That is especially in the time we're living in, the, uh, in a year that was in just an yeah. epidemic of mass shootings to engage with that psychology in a way that does not glamorize it could have been a really interesting and powerful story um, because it would have been hiding it in a, you know, a fantastical package and it just, man, it's a bad film. It's not good. But the one that really disappointed me even more than that was Ben Wheatley's free fire, which is not even a film that I dislike. I like free fire just fine. Uh, but I love Ben Wheatley's film kill list. Um, and you, you look at the cast of this film and it's just absolutely insane. Brie Larson, army hammer, Chantel Copley, Killian Murphy, Jack Rayner, uh, no, uh, Noah Taylor. I mean, just the list goes on. There's a yeah. lot of really amazing yeah. actors in that film. And I didn't give a damn about a single one of the characters. And it just, and I'm normally not somebody who lets a, a, a film full of unlikable characters hold me at arm's length. I just couldn't get keyed into the narrative at all for whatever reason. Yeah. And that's a movie that takes just, it takes a very interesting concept and then just goes nowhere with it. Like, yeah. like it's a fun concept. Like, that's yeah. a, it's a fun concept, but. It just doesn't work as a feature film. Like yeah. you can't stretch it out to make that work. I don't think. Yeah, it, it's it's a bottle episode turned into a feature length yeah. film. And again, I like it. I just I wanted to love it. Yeah. When I saw the trailers for Free Fire, I was like, oh well, that's going to be one of my favorite movies of 2017. Yeah. And that's really where the disappointment actually comes yeah. from. Yeah. So moving on, we are now into our next category, which is didn't get the hype, which is going to be the film from 2017. That there was a big, great deal of hoopla around, whereas our biggest disappointments were uh, hoopla made by ourselves. This is going to be the film where uh, you don't understand the hoopla around this film. So, Arthur, you're going to take the reins on this. What, what, what was the? What, what did you not get the hype on? I've got to say, it's Blade Runner 2049. Oh man, we're gonna have some words Shots later. Fired there, baby. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, yeah. no, okay. I, I, think, I think there's going to be a lot of anger throughout the day. I think Blade Runner 2049 is. Beautifully composed. Mm -hmm. I think it's very well made. I just don't think it's as smart as people think it thinks it is. Okay. I think it's... I, I, I think Villeneuve did something fantastic by putting together a franchise entry that stood on its own two legs 30, 40, what, 40 years, 30 years after the fact? Yeah, something like that. 30, um, 35, I think? I don't know. Not important. But um, the fact that he was able to do that, and, and I think it does hold true to Blade Runner. I think it holds true to that spirit. But I think it's being praised as something that it's not, that it's this super intellectual artistic piece. And I think it, it I think it lays its cards on the table and I think it's pretty heavy handed in a lot of its thematic work. And I 
I, I, I mean, I don't discount the movie because I do think it's really well made. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the online praise I'm seeing for it makes it seem like it's like the second coming of I don't know what. And I, I don't think it is. I, I, I think it's a really well made genre movie, and I think it's a really well made kind of neo noir movie uh, with the great performances. But I just don't think it's tapping into these things that people are are, are seeing in it. I, I, I just, I feel like everything's presented at face value. And I don't know that there's much more substance to it than that. Okay. I will do my best to make a case for it later in the show. Yeah. All righty. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What was uh, your uh, biggest, uh, or rather, the film in which you did not get the hype, Mr. Dalton Stewart? So this is kind of uh, a different take on this, because I looked over the the films that I saw in 2017, and there wasn't one that I I could point to as, well, everybody liked this and I didn't care for it. Uh, So I actually went the opposite route uh, and, and went for a film that a lot of people hated, and I don't understand uh, the negative hype, and that's uh, Alien Covenant. Okay. I, I like Alien Covenant a lot. Speaking of uh, Ridley Scott yeah. and Blade Runner, I think Alien Covenant is an outgrowth of Blade Runner, of Alien. It it really kind of solidifies and makes Prometheus better in hindsight. That's how much I like Alien Covenant because there's, yeah, there's a plenty of things that don't work in that film. Yeah. But what Ridley Scott is, I mean, again, first of all, this is a movie in which Michael Fassbender very sexually teaches himself how to play the flute. Yep. What more do you want? And yeah. then they fight each. And then they fight each other later. Guys, this movie is insane. Billy Crudup gets chest bursted, and like, just there's all this crazy shit in this movie. Danny McBride fights an alien. What? What? What more do you want? And that—that's what I, I guess I don't understand. I—I I, I can see the things that don't work about it, but I think there's so much going for this film as an exploration of. Uh, this idea of synthetic humanity that uh, Ridley Scott's been working with his entire career. Um, And it's just such an interesting outgrowth of Alien because it says, what if Ash was the good guy? Yeah. What what if Ash was the misunderstood protagonist of Alien? And it is building a franchise around the idea that we were lazy. We created life. Uh, And again, it, it presents the idea that all those angry feelings you've ever had towards the universe or God or whatever you want to call that, which binds us all those angry feelings you've ever had. What if we created sentient life and didn't give it a good enough reason for its existence? And there's something really interesting there, uh, with Michael Fassbender's performance, which is obviously amazing. You don't need me to tell you that, but, um, just the way in which it engages with those ideas, I find really fascinating. And again, it's also just this real gross splattery, uh, horror movie, um, with a lot of really fun set pieces that totally work for me. And I think a lot of it would come down to that, that title on alien carries Mm -hmm. a lot of weight with it. And what we see with Prometheus is I think really Scott's finding something else that really interests and we're talking about with AI and things like that and yeah. questions of, you know, life and creation and, and, you know, what, you know, all those things and, and sentience. And he's taking this this thought down a different kind of trail and now he's looping in, you know, well, he's he's got to rein in Alien, right? Because yeah, it's, it's for some reason producers and Alien's the money. Yeah. And so, you know, Prometheus Covenant may have been the better title for that film and and again i think a big part of why that movie is the the film that it is is people winning more aliens and prometheus yeah and he and and he gave you what you asked for the stuff that doesn't work with alien covenant is the alien i think that's totally fair uh and again there's a couple of fun moments like the the alien trying to smash its head through the ship as they're escaping i mean there's a lot of fun action set pieces with with the xenomorph in the film uh, but y- you're right. I mean, those are probably the narratively the weakest points of the film. But the the stuff with 
with David is fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And again, even when the alien does show up, well, narratively, it's kind of visually and like uh, viscerally, uh, it's yeah. a ton of fun. Yeah. And those set pieces are all really uh, fabulous. I really enjoyed all of them. So again, I, I don't understand how how much hate there is for Alien Covenant. I can understand not loving it, but I don't understand that uh, because there's a lot of people that don't like this movie, and I, yeah. I just don't get it. I think I think it's very underappreciated in its time. Dustin, what what did you not get the hype about? Well, I like how you cover the anti-hype because I'm I'm t- I'm covering the sort of proto-hype or the pro-hype that happens with films, and this filmmaker especially gets this reputation of being very very cerebral and very very inventive and uh, sort of this extreme you know sort of visual style or whatever. David Lynch. Uh, that, <laughs> that uh, did David no. Lynch have a movie come out this year? I think so. Oh yeah, Twin Peaks: Return. No, no. <laughs> Fuck, dude. All right, <laughs> hold on, Dustin. We're gonna put a pin in that. I'm really sorry. I'm gonna go ahead and say the official GTGC stance <laughs> is you are good not. To, fuck off. If you, if, oh my god, if you say Twin Peaks: Return is a movie, I'm gonna lose my shit. I hope it's in his top five. It's not, but it's not a movie. All right, well that's my official stance. It won't be the podcast's <laughs> official stance. That yes. is a television season. Speak for yourself. All right, sorry, Dustin. <laughs> that's fine. So, so mad people are trying to pretend that's a but, movie. But, you know, the, this sort of, you know, intellectual sort of, you know, cachet that this director carries and that, that gets applied to this film. And I liked it. I liked the movie. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think it's amazing. And that's Dunkirk. I, okay. I like Dunkirk okay. just yeah. fine. But, I, the, you know, oh, we've got this one week and we've got this one day and this one hour sort of narrative. We're going to string them together. It's not that creative. It's not that inventive. It is not that extreme at all. It, it, I mean, it, it, maybe it is for blockbuster cinema um, where it doesn't exactly spoon feed you, but it, it makes sure you connect all the dots. It's not difficult to follow by any stretch of the imagination. I, w- and, I, would, I would say that what it does successfully, though, is it, it really weaves uh, emotion uh, throughout that. And uh, it's not what, that what it's doing is that inventive. It's the skill with which it's done. Uh, well, okay. But I, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't really see that. I mean, I, it's it's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. The performances are fine. Uh, the story is moving. I do feel the pathos as I watch it. It's sad, you know, as things happen, as it happens at the end. And I won't spoil any of that sort of stuff right here. But, yeah, that's that's fine. And I, I'm, I'm okay with all of that. But I'm just like, this is not this most incredible, most amazing director. This is not this most incredible, most amazing. And a lot of my filmy bros um, are really, really into this movie. And I'm just like... All right. Now that, that I mean, it was, it was good, but all right. It yeah. cracked my top twenty, but I also saw it in seventy millimeters, so there's a good chance that that might have falsely inflated my appreciation for it. But I, I liked it a lot. I'm sure to achieve some spectacle, and that use of seventy millimeter film and IMAX projection is, you know, interesting. But it's pretty great. Uh, still, it, it, it really is just wide shots. Is all we're talking about, and wide shots on an ocean. And I, it, no, I don't. I don't even think it's a very inventive use of that particular formatting. It, it's fine. You know, it's good use of it. I mean, you want to shoot like that if you're shooting, but it's not doing anything nobody's not done since like Lawrence of Arabia. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm nonplussed. It's hot take central here on the good trash genre. Cast. I'm just, I'm very nonplussed with Dunkirk. Totally fair. I, I, you know what? And that's one of the things that I enjoy. Uh, we all have kind of similar wheelhouses, and yet the things that speak to us are so different that we yeah. do, we do get a variety of opinions, which I, I enjoy. Well, I, I, I just want to know what. Dustin, what was your favorite franchise entry for the year? 
My fa- okay. Well, I didn't see much from the franchise this year. I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah, we know. Um, and I think my one and only, um, and, it, and I, I chose to watch it because it probably would be, would be The Last Jedi. I, I, I really liked The Last Jedi a lot. I thought it was a, it was a very solid Star Wars movie that was a, an adequate entry into the franchise. And I said this before, uh, perhaps on some paywalled content, I might have mentioned this. I don't remember or not. It might be Patreon exclusive. So you get a little peek back behind the curtain, dear listener. But what I like about it... Nope. Stopping! I'm stopping. They don't get these. <laughs> no. They don't get these takes for free, baby. But what I no, this is just this is not even the main point I made. Then this is a side point that I think is why no. I like it. Is that really leans hard into that sort of Flash Gordon serial kind of uh, formatting to the to the film itself. It very much felt like it was part and parcel of that. That somehow Ryan Johnson got Star Wars a lot better than uh, what had been happening, you know, in the prequels. Or in J.J. Abrams' effort from uh, two years ago or a year ago, I guess. Two years ago. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, for me, I, Last Jedi is a really, really solid franchise entry, and it was a good movie. It was a great fun. choice. Great, yeah. absolutely, a fantastic choice. Dalton? Uh, Arthur, I'm pretty sure – I don't – I think Arthur and I might be of a similar mind on this. And while I do absolutely adore The Last Jedi um, a lot, uh, yeah. I have to make myself like it less so I don't call it the best film of the year because uh, – hits me where I live so hard and uh, I like everything that it's doing so much. Uh, but for me, the best franchise entry is Logan. Uh, not just because uh, yeah, yeah. Logan's for good. a lot of reasons. Yeah. Uh, while I, I probably do resonate more with the last Jedi. I think what works so well about Logan is I saw X-Men uh, in the year 2000 with my dad, yeah. uh, my, uh, my my adopted father, not my biological father, just to clarify. But Lynn uh, took me to see that. This my, Him and my mom had only been married for like three years, and he took me to see that movie when I was nine, ten years old. Yeah. And to, you know, 17 years later, go see the culmination of this and watch Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart, uh, who... Really, their performances and those their performances of those characters helped launch superhero movies as we know them today. To yeah. watch them deconstruct them, I mean, again, you, I'm not the first person to tell you this. I mean, I, it wasn't even an original point when I thought it. Um, but yeah, it, it is actively what James Mangold and company are actively trying to do is yeah. give you Unforgiven for superhero movies. And the fact that that works, because that honestly sounds dumb. Yeah. When you tell me that is the premise of a movie, I'm not really that interested. No. They do it so well. Yeah. They deconstruct what is happening in superhero films so effectively. Uh, and they engage with what this character has meant to Hugh Jackman and to audiences for almost 20 years now. Yeah. They really engage with it in such a powerful way. And we'll talk more about this film, I'm sure, uh, the further we get into the show. Because I have a feeling it's going to show up in some top fives. But... Man, it just is doing everything it wants to do so well. Um, so yeah, it's it's got to be Logan for me is the the franchise entry of the year. Arthur, what about you? I I'm also going to go with the Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I would have picked Logan, but I, I I really feel like Logan is the culmination. Yeah, you know the Wolverine's leading us there, and, and Mangle really gets to see that vision fulfilled, uh, and it does a lot of great things with with the franchise. I think, but for me, I have to look at Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, because. And this isn't from the Marvel stamp. Marvel's not hurting. They've got great movies. They're doing fine. Whatever. But Thor itself, as a franchise, yeah, the, the has three been th- extremely movies. weak. The first one's okay. The second one's bad. Mm-hmm. The second one's probably the worst MCU film. Thor Ragnarok. Well, yeah, none of them had a, a little guy with a knife for hands. Yeah, that's that's accurate. Um, 
Thor Ragnarok. I, well, I, and I don't love the movie. I don't think it's. Yeah, I didn't praise it as high as a lot of people did. The, but the, I think it's so good. It's so much better than so many other uh, than all the Thor movies, yeah. and it's such a high watermark for so many Marvel movies. That I think you're right. It's yeah. getting a, a false sense of inflation a little yeah. bit, but it is real good. But as a Thor film, mm-hmm. it's able to reinvigorate, re you know energize this franchise which by all intents and purposes was on its last legs in its first film and and taika watiti is able to just bring such humor and such fun and infuse it into this colorful loud boisterous buddy comedy that's all sorts of buck wild and fun and adds personality to thor and gives you know gives us a reason to care about thor and and adds new layers to hulk and is able to put those two components together, which haven't been able to stand on their own in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and and make a pairing that really works. And I think is able to give a new life and breath to the Thor character and to that franchise when it really needed it the most. And I I think for me, while I don't think it's the you know one of the better movies that came out this year, or one of the best cinema, uh, comic movies even to come out this year, mm. I, I think it really does a lot for that franchise itself. And well, so that would be my pick. Well said, Arthur. Well said. Well, all right. Now, now, we're having this great conversation right now talking about movies that we like and things that we like about movies, but we also want to talk to you, dear listener, about this stuff also via those magical means that we know as social media. Dalton, can you do that thing you do where you say the words about social media so they can participate in the conversation? As a matter of fact, I can, Dustin. Um, I... Uh, Social media is a great place for uh, you to talk with us about your top your top tens, our top tens. Uh, I posted mine online. Already. You dropped a little spoiler on the, yeah. on, the on the listener. I gave, I gave the people what they wanted. <laughs> so you know what? Some people just want them picks. They want to yeah. see them numbers. They're not going to listen, and that's fine. Um, so yeah, I, I've got probably I, I, I screen grabbed like my top sixteen yeah. uh, from my letterbox list and threw that up. Uh, but if you want to tell us your thoughts on our lists or if you just want to share your lists with us, we would love that. Yeah, um, tell me why I'm wrong about Blade Runner, please. I, I'm going to try to do it for you, listener. <laughs> but if you want to engage with us about about the best films, uh, your favorite films of 2017, um, you can do that over on Twitter. That's at good underscore trash. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash GTM. As I always say, you don't need to be over there. You don't need to be contributing Zuckerberg's empire. But, you know, if you don't have Twitter, you can you can hit us up over there. Um, also, we would really appreciate it if you rate, reviewed, and subscribe to the show on iTunes uh, and Stitcher. Look, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's okay if you don't listen to every episode. Just subscribe anyway. It helps. I promise. Um, if you are uh, wanting to give us some longer uh, feedback, some you know you really got something you want to get off your chest, that's uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, and finally, if you like this show so much uh, that you want to give us some money, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash GTM. If you want those secret uh, Last Jedi nuggets that Dustin alluded to, you can find that stuff over there. Um, that's it. Did I, did I did I miss anything? You did it. You covered it. You got it, it buddy. Did a good job. Did yeah. a good job. Yeah, we're proud of you. Yay! All I'm right. valued. You are valued, and we value your opinion. And the opinion we want to hear from you next, Dalton Stewart, is uh, the film that you wish you'd seen in the theater. Well, that that's a caveat. It's wish it, it could wish be you'd either, seen, right? Yeah, okay. wish you'd seen or wish you'd seen in theater. Either one. So yeah. I have some big enough blind spots that I didn't have to pick in a theater. I did just have some films that I really wish I could have caught up with. I the same, yeah. Uh, and for me, it's it, it is one of the the most uh, lauded films of the year. It, it's Call Me by Your Name, which I yeah. still have not gotten a chance to ca- catch up with. I don't know that we've had a release here. No, it'll it's opening wide the weekend after we're recording this episode. Yeah. So, so yeah, still haven't got a chance to catch up with that, uh, and I also have not got a chance to catch up with. I, Tanya, 
Um, to a much lesser extent, The Post and Molly's Game. I, I'm interested in both those films. I don't yeah. think either would have cracked my top ten, but I, I really did want to see both of them. And yeah. I just haven't made time for either of either of those four films or any of those four films. Um, those, are, those are the big ones for me. I can't think of anything else of those ones I've mentioned. I think Itani is the biggest one. And uh, it's really just because I want to see those performances. I want to see Margot yeah. Robbie. I want to see Sebastian Stan. I want to see... Um, oh my God, Allison Janney! Thank you, Allison Janney. Um, I, I'm I'm excited about seeing those performances, yeah. um, and I mean that trailer is just so much damn fun. It is. Uh, so I, I really do look forward to catching up with that. Uh, of those four, that's the one I am most likely to see. Um, but uh, I will probably catch up with all four of them at some point. But yeah, I, I really wish I could have squeezed those in before uh, end of the year time. All right, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton. Sir, what were your um, big blind spots, films you wish you'd seen, Arthur Gordon? Well, as Dalton, there are a few that just haven't come out yet. Calling by Your Name is one. The Florida Project is one. Oh, that, God, I forgot about Florida Project. You know, so for me, yeah. Hopefully I get to catch up in the coming weeks with those. Uh, but for me, the big one that I really wanted to see, and I just didn't get around to it, um, because I was going to have to watch the, the previous entry in the franchise as well, mm-hmm. and that is War of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, it's good. Um, uh, it's top 35 for me for sure. Yeah, the, I loved Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I, I, it was one of my top films of the year it came out, and I just, for whatever reason, in time, I don't, I don't remember. I didn't get to see Dawn, and so when War of the Planet of the Apes came out, the the, the marketing was great. It looked beautiful. I, it, it is such an interesting because critically, it has been a low key successful yeah. franchise that yeah. just hasn't got a lot of buzz mainstream. It, what's weird is they all made money. Like yeah. Dawn, th- this was the the lowest opening entry, unfortunately. But yeah, Dawn and Rise both made a lot of money too, and it yeah. just feels like nobody, a bunch of people went and saw these movies, but and nobody's nobody, talking. Yeah, they just kind of forgot about it immediately. Yeah. And I, I, I'm with you. Uh, I love Rise. I think Dawn is great. Yeah. Uh, Dawn's absolutely fantastic. I, I'm torn between uh, Dawn and War because. Um, they both have some big missteps, but they both have some really amazing moments. So uh, yeah. I think you'll be very pleased when you finally catch up with them. And I, I definitely feel like I caught a lot of the stuff I really wanted to see. But War uh, for the Planet of the Apes was the one I, I really wish I'd gotten to. Dustin, oh. what's it going to be for you? Well, the Florida Project, first of all. I mean, yeah, that could have cracked my top I, I think it's got a high I can't even believe it for you. Yeah, well, I mean, we were all three of us are huge fans of Sean Baker's uh, Tangerine, so. Yeah, so, I mean, that that's the first one I want to mention. I, also, I didn't get a chance to see Agnes Varda's um, Faces Places. Which is supposed to be good. Uh, and I really, really did want to catch it. And uh, lastly, uh, a film that no one's heard of. Guy Madden is a uh, pretty uh, prolific yeah. um, art filmmaker, and he's got a, a movie called Green Fog about San yep. Francisco. And I very, very much uh, wished I'd gotten an opportunity to catch it, and hopefully I can rectify that before the years. Yeah, out. I'd actually just read something about Green Fog, and I'm I'm very interested in what they're doing with that because it, it definitely seems to be hitting my buttons. So. Yeah, it's, it's very Vertigo, very yeah. San Francisco, sort of Los Angeles plays itself meets Vertigo, yeah. and uh, yeah, I'm definitely game and in for that. So uh, that is a film I want to see. So uh, moving on down, I think it's our favorite set piece or uh, action scene. Yeah, my favorite category. Yeah, uh, obviously. This Obviously, was, obvi- this is one Dalton's one contribution to the show. I'm so excited. <laughs> so, Dalton, what is it? Well, I mean, it's just John Wick too. <laughs> just, just the whole movie. I mean, the whole movie really. Start but, to finish. Uh, I mean that the labyrinthine, enter the dragon, homaging showdown in the New York MoMA is just fuck wild and crazy and i don't know how they got a camera in there without it showing up and i don't know if they just had to digitally erase the cameraman but it's so insane i am but even that there's the opening car chase which is is amazing there's the fight with common on the subway i mean that movie is filled with insane action scenes 
but I knew that going in. I knew that John Wick 2 was going to set the bar there. Uh, I am actually going to go ahead and give it to Thor Ragnarok. Uh, because how the fuck did it take three Thor movies for Chris Hemsworth to smash stuff with a hammer to the sounds of Led Zeppelin? Yeah. Like, that's, how did we, how are we just now getting How are we this? missing this? That opening scene is so delightful and so much fun. And it is a very different action scene from uh, what, what you get uh, from John Wick 2. And the action scenes in John Wick 2, that is my preferred type of action scene, is a lot of heavy stunt work, uh, a lot, just going, oh my God, how, how is everyone still okay? How how did no one break everything? Uh, that is my preferred action scene. But that, that opening scene in Thor Ragnarok does such a good job of setting the tone of that movie uh, while being just a really explosive opening segment, um, both literally and, literally and figuratively. And uh, you've got Clancy Brown uh, doing some fun voiceover work there. It's just a, a absolutely delightful. And it opens with... Uh, it, it starts the action scene with a... Hey, it's me. I bet you're wondering how I ended up here. It's great. Wait, the movie opens opens with a yeah. how did I get into this predicament joke, which is just I mean that's takeaway. It sets the tone. Yeah, that that's his his sense of humor in a yeah. nutshell is just taking one of the most prolific memes online right now and seamlessly making it just the the opening joke of his movie, yeah. which is really great. Uh, so yeah. It's uh, it's gonna be Thor Ragnarok for me. Awesome, Arthur. What about you, man? What's uh, what's that? What's the action scene or set piece of the year? Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of audibling on this because of the discussion earlier, but I want to give an honorable mention to Baby Driver, which has some fantastic that, mm, uh, it, chase sequences and driving sequences with this musical influence, uh, which is just a fascinating mashup. This kind of musical action sequence using these kind of fun rock. Uh, songs to really drive the action and, and what's happening and, and mixing that with Wright's eye for editing and, and his visual storytelling abilities is just a great marriage and, it, and it's filled with these kind of fun car sequences that is it's a blast it's a good time yeah the the opening uh, bell bottoms number yeah. was very nearly my favorite action film action scene of the year yeah but going back to the conversation earlier you know despite the back and forth about it the no man's land sequence in wonder woman yeah is just, especially in the moment, I think it is so powerful. Well, because, yeah, what a great action scene does, it doesn't just thrill you, it advances the story. Yeah. That's what a good action film does, is a marriage of the set pieces with yeah. the story. So, I, you know, despite the rest, you know, however you feel about the rest of that movie and where it lands for you, I, I think in the moment that that sequence is extremely powerful. I, I think it's extremely cathartic for a lot of viewers, uh, especially as far as representat- representation goes. And, and, and I think it just captivates you and, and it's so well put together and it's so well shot and so there's so much emotion in it mm-hmm. and so I, I i think that definitely lands at the top and i me. absolutely agree. i love that scene yeah, yeah i think that's great what i think is so strong about that scene is um it, it does what one of my other favorite action scenes of the year does the the throne room duel in the last jedi those are two scenes where yeah the emotion of the scene is yeah. so tied to the action yeah. that you're moved uh, in a way that action scenes don't typically move you, especially in the, the the scene in the trenches, because it is a scene about doing the right thing, even though everyone is telling you not to, uh, which is really what makes it a, a really great action scene, not yeah. just the choreography, which is totally awesome, uh, but it is narratively and thematically how it fits within the film, just like that scene in The Last Jedi, where that scene is a culmination of the entire film yeah. preceding it. Whew. Dustin? 
Alrighty, so I'm going to have a selection from a film that nobody saw uh, again. Checks out. Uh, yeah, just um, I watch a lot of kung fu movies. I don't know if you guys knew that about me or not. No, we were aware. I, I like kung fu a lot, and uh, there was a great film from 2017 um, called uh, God of War, directed by Gordon Chan. I've heard some really great things about it's this movie. It's a lot of fun, and uh, I would say that I would just say that the film and just name it for all of its many set pieces uh, because I think there are very, very well choreographed kung fu uh, going on throughout there. But the particular moment of the film, less for the reasons you guys are saying. In terms of moving narrative and that kind of stuff, although that's absolutely important and vital many times when it comes to the good action set piece, uh, I'm, there's a motivation that's a motive in terms of nostalgia. Uh, Samuel Hung uh, makes an appearance in this Hell film, yeah. and uh, he has this great staff fight uh, with uh, Wen Zhou Zhao, and uh, it's just fantastic. Samuel can still move and still kick tail, and uh, it, it man, it's great. I thought you were going to say uh, Takashi Miike's Blade of the Immortal, which I is, haven't seen man, it. I want to see it so bad. I wanted to. I was uh, hoping you had seen it. That's why I got really excited for no. a second, but I've also heard really great things about God of War. Yeah, God of War is a lot of fun. I, I don't know if it's a good, you know, it's, got, it's, it's a little bit messy in terms of plotting, yeah. but it, I like it. It's a lot of fun, and uh, definitely uh, worth your time if you're into Kung Fu. So there you go. And All right. Audible. Audible. With curveball. What was your most emotional watch of 2017? <sighs> it, it's Last Jedi. I mean, I just cried so many times during that movie. And look, I, Dustin's rolling his eyes. <laughs> oh, no, he's mad at me. He's mad at me because I threw a curveball. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but thank you for throwing it. It's a good curveball. Um, listener, if you've, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, you know this about me. I cry a lot. Yeah, I, I cry. Truth. I, it is not. E- it is not hard to make me cry. Yeah, uh, film. I, I'm. I'm. I am very easily manipulated to tears. But Last Jedi is just every single moment of that film. From uh, you don't matter the, to them, but you matter to me. Or I'll see you around, kid. Or I just. I the. Oh my God! That that film wears its heart on its sleeve in such a way that I appreciate. And I'm glad you threw this curveball, Arthur, because otherwise. I really wasn't going to get to talk about Last Jedi that much, uh, which, you know, is fine. Yeah. But it is a film that I like a lot, and I think it's not just my love of Star Wars that elevates it to high consideration as one of the best films of the year. It just is one of the best movies of the year. There's a lot of there's a lot of better films than it, uh, just artistically, but as a giant piece of corporate entertainment, it has no right to be as good yeah. as it is. It has no right to be in the same conversation as Empire Strikes Back. And yet it is. And it is easily it's easily the best Star Wars movie since nineteen eighty. Yeah. I mean without a doubt in anyone's mind. Um and it just everything about it works so well. And yeah, this is, it's a film that there's a whole shitload of baggage and conversation about right now. Fucking don't at me. All right. It's it. it, I've been watching these damn movies since I was literally since before I could walk. This franchise means a lot to me. And it's got a lot of things tied up in my life uh, because of it. Uh, Just it is fundamentally important to uh, my journey as a film lover and uh, to just see Ryan Johnson, who also cares about these movies as much as I do really do his best to, to make a beautiful film. Uh, yeah. It, I, I could talk about this for another 30 minutes. So I'm going to stop. Yeah. And I'll probably start crying if I keep talking about it. Uh, Dustin, I'm going to throw, I'm going to let Arthur, Arthur's probably got his answer already locked since he threw the curveball. but are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. What was it, buddy? Bright, obviously. Yeah. yeah. No. The, 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 uh, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the song Orc Cop just really. Orc Cop, man, it moves me. <laughs> no, it's Gerald's game. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody else would pick it but you, but that 
That makes sense. This is Gerald's game. That's yeah. fair. Uh, uh, for me, I, I, I'm going to hold one close to my chest for later in the show. But for me, it's uh, I'd have to say stronger. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I remember you telling me that it was way better than you thought it would be. Uh, uh, and a lot of, I mean, obviously there are some emotional manipulation that the film can do, right? Because of the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for those who are aware, it's the story of, uh, and I don't know his name, but it's the, he was the guy who was at the finish line of the Boston bombing, the marathon bombing, and he's the one who identified the suspect. And he loses his leg in the bombing, his legs in the bombing, right? And it's about his uh, rehabilitation. It's about him, you know, essentially recovering from that incident. And, and it's, Gyllenhaal does such a great job crafting this character and, and making him human. And we kind of talked about this on the Mudbound show about having these characters who are human and, and you know, a hero who's not heroic, right? We we have this protagonist who's he's all these flaws and there's so much not to like about him, but also we empathize with this character. And, and there's so many moments in that movie that just kind of move you uh, in, in Gyllenhaal's performance and in uh, – I'm not, I'm not going to try to butcher her name uh, because it's really difficult to say. I'm, I'm not even going to attempt it. But uh, the girl from Orphan Black. Oh, Tatiana Maisley? I think Mar- that's Mar- – yeah. I think it's Tatiana, Tatiana Maisley. something. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she does a great job there as well. I didn't know she was in this. Yeah, she plays his uh, girlfriend, fiance. Oh, okay. Um, but it's, it's a, such a fascinating look at, at survivors and this – mantle of heroicism that is laid upon them just because they're a survivor mm-hmm. and, and and him having to try to cope with this question of why am, I'm not a hero why do they say I'm a hero because he just doesn't understand it and he doesn't understand that mantle and it's put so much pressure on him and in that you know it, it ignites PTSD in him Mm-hmm. And, and him trying to cope with all of that and, and just dealing with those cultural questions of why, you know, is it fair to put this mantle on these people, you know, and, and coming up with things like Boston Strong. What does that, you know, does that achieve anything? Where does that, you know, reconcile in, in life? And, and Gyllenhaal's performance is just fantastic through this movie. And, and I think, you know, part of, part of the structure, obviously, uh, is emotional manipulation. But I think Gyllenhaal's performance takes it to a, a very interesting place. And so for me, I, I think that's definitely one that was very emotional to watch. All right. Well, thank you very much for that little curveball, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Uh, moving on to our favorite guilty pleasure um, of 2017. Just It's, it's kind of bad, but you love it and you don't care anyway. What do you say, Dalton? So I have two picks because one is one I don't want to tell uh, people who aren't really in the film that I like. I don't want to explain it to them. And one is... One that I just don't want to have to explain why I think it's good to people who do know a lot about film. So uh, the first one is going to be King Kong or Kong Skull Island. King Kong Skull Island. It's really good. It's fun. It's good. That is a movie in which Tom Hiddleston cuts bat monsters in half with a samurai sword with a gas mask on. Like what? In what? Yeah, it's insane. Oh, so it is absolutely bonkers and so much fun and does such a good job of like zigging where you think it's going to zag and just uh, it simultaneously does exactly what you would expect it to do uh, and also kind of subverts what you're going to think what you think this movie would do um it very smartly hangs the emotional core on john c Riley's character instead of the 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 ostensible leads of the film Uh, brie larson and tom hiddleston are not the emotional core of this film which is really interesting um and again i I've, i've heard the point made that yeah it kind of lazily riffs on apocalypse now I really like the ways in which it riffs on, you know, the Heart of Darkness Apocalypse Now type story. And 
the way it engages with uh, post-Vietnam uh, American uh, defeatism and, and the ways in which that conflict informed the next you know 50 years of American foreign policy and, and American culture. Um, it's just a ton of fun. Uh, the other film is Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Um, I, just because I don't, I don't want to have to explain Mother to my mother. I don't have to tell her what that movie's about and try to exp- like hey, my mom would get it i'm not saying my mom wouldn't understand it but my mom's a smart is a smart person i just don't want to have to like tell her about just all of the buck wild religious symbolism going on and and it's gotten to the point it's been such a talked about film yeah. that it's just i don't really want to talk about it anymore uh it, it was so much fun to talk about it was kind of the the film lovers film of the year because it was such a bizarre movie and there were yeah. so many angles you could tackle it from you know metatextual standpoints of its production of of the things aronofsky said about it which we talked about uh when we discussed Eraserhead. and really i i think my my thoughts on the conversation around mother i think i covered pretty well when we talked about Eraserhead. but it, it is my guilty pleasure in that i just don't want to have to tell people i like it and explain why i like it uh, well to your point it's it's hard i think to for from my personal experience with people who don't deal in film at, at the same level that we do, and I, I'm not trying to put this on a pedestal, yeah, but yeah, it's not a, a value judgment. Yeah. It's just some people but, engage with movies in a different way. But I I think it's it's hard to explain art cinema. Yeah, at times it's like it's really yeah, it's when, it's not something you just like. Well, it's it's kind of like poetry put on film. I mean, there's no narrative. If it's, that's if that's not what you go to the movies for, it is really hard. I think to understand again, just because so many of the people that mean a lot to me in my life don't go to the movies for that kind of thing. Yeah, it's hard to explain to people like why, especially people who only go see like three movies a year. It's hard to explain to them like yeah. why you appreciate that kind yeah. of thing. And I'm just like, I don't want to have this conversation. But even with other film lovers, I don't want to have to explain. Look, I like Mother, but it's not for the reasons you think I like yeah. it. You know, I don't. I just don't want to have to have the conversation yeah. about why I, I like that movie so much. Yeah. So that's that's going to be my guilty pleasure: uh, Kong Skull Island and Mother. Uh, I'm going to switch it up again. Uh, we're going to keep everyone on their toes. Dustin, what was your your big guilty pleasure film? My guilty pleasure of 2017 is uh, a film you haven't seen. It's a film you maybe <laughs> no, some of you saw. I know at least a couple of you saw. It's Birth of a Dragon. The uh, the Bruce I didn't see it. No, neither of us saw it. Oh, you guys didn't see Birth of a Dragon. Oh, yeah, guys. The the Bruce Lee uh, the, biopic. The kung fu is strong with you tonight, oh, isn't it? Man, well, it always is strong with me. But it, it it's so good, and the fight scenes between Bruce and Wong Jack Man are just incredible. And it's it, no, it's bad. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a mess historically. It's a mess narratively, just within its own frame. But it's. It is so much stinking fun. I just I, I you you just don't you're, you're just not having enough fun in showbiz if you're not liking a movie like Birth of the Dragon. And uh, man, it's just fun. And I've watched it three times uh, since it came out. So it's super super good in terms of the, the 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 fun appeals, but not so much good in terms of you know the objective criteria by which one might evaluate a film. <laughs> Well, Let's just say, Mr. Gordon, uh, bring this train into the station. What is your guilty pleasure of 2017? Wish Upon is not a good movie. But before that movie, there was a trailer for a film <laughs> that asked, what if Groundhog Day were a slasher Hell film? Hell yeah. And Happy Death Day. Which I saw on my birthday. 
is a good time. It's it, so good. It is a blast. And it does a lot of fun stuff with the premise. And it subverts some expectations with the end. And it plays really well, I think, with the premise. And and, and, the, and the fun thing is, you know, you get to do the day over and over. So you just get to go all kinds of crazy with the concept. Yeah, right? you just get to have, like, all these really, uh, really outlandish death set yeah. pieces. And, and um, that movie is really... Uh, I mean, carried on the shoulders of Jessica Roth. I mean, that yeah. is a star-making per- turn. I mean, yeah. she's so good. I mean, she carries that whole movie just on sheer charisma. Yeah, and there are a handful of movies, horror movies, every year that I, I want to revisit come Halloween. You know, I, I, I like to rewatch Halloween. I like to rewatch Scream. You know, and, and I think Happy Death Day is one that could fall into that that personal canon that I would like to go back every year and watch it because it's just a good time. And it it, it has fun with its premise. It knows what it's doing. Yeah, it's silly. And it's fun, and it knows exactly what it's about. It establishes the rules. It plays with them, and it goes somewhere fun. And it's got some great characters and some sweet moments. And I just really enjoyed it, and I was glad I was able to sneak it in at the end of the year at the Dollar Theater and get that one put into yeah. my list because it's a blast. No PG-13 slasher movie has any right being that good. Correct. That is correct. That is an Well, one. I haven't seen that movie, so I'm... You, you would love it. Gentlemen? I, I'm willing to check it out, yeah. I, I guess it's time. It's time. It's time. Time to go. The top five. I'll see you all next week. Oh, you're going to leave. <laughs> oh, we've got that to do. We yeah, no, to... we've already recorded an episode's worth of content. So here's... here's. Uh... So if you want to hear five through one, if you'll uh, subscribe on <laughs> patreon.com <laughs> no! forward slash GTM. Oh, my God. You would be, oh, absolutely <laughs> that, vicious. That would be the worst. That's, that's savage. It's just mean. Oh, uh, no, we're, we're, we're in for the long haul, listeners. All right. It's time. Listener, this, this is where we uh, the main event. announce the five films that we think are the best of the year and you may not even care about. So uh, let's get it started. Dustin, what is your number five film number of the year? Number five for me is Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled. Okay. I okay. really, really like that movie a lot. And I liked it a little bit better than um, uh, Lady Macbeth. They do feel kind of like spiritual pairing, don't they? They are cousins to one another, but I think there is still some subtle patriarchy that's at work in uh, Lady Macbeth that makes me uncomfortable, and I, I I find it to be a bit more, I mean, obviously a bit more of a feminist film when it's made by Sofia Coppola, yeah. but uh, I, I find it's a change of perspective, and I'd seen the original Clint Eastwood movie a oh, long time okay. ago, and uh, I, I like the shift. I like the choices that she's making, and I don't think she's getting nearly enough credit because it is a remake, and uh, it yeah, it, I mean, it treads much the same territory, yeah. but the way in which it focuses on the women uh, differently than the Clint Eastwood's character, I think, is really, really powerful. And it's just a great, uh, well-drawn, uh, tight little thriller, um, you know, set in a women's seminary uh, just during the last uh, years of the, of the Civil War. I just and Nicole Kindling is great, and so <laughs> stop calling her that. She's very brittle. Ha- no, she's not. She's she's so strong. She, had the die been cast in my watching order a little different? Beguiled may have taken a t- different spot up here. Oh, really? Because um, what order did you watch them in? I'm just curious now. I did. I saw Lady Macbeth first. Okay, I saw Lady Macbeth first as well. Yeah, and so I, I preferred Beguiled. So that's interesting. Hmm. Anyway, there you go. It okay. Says a lot about us, doesn't it? It does say a lot about Dalton us. Stewart. Well, that's what these lists do. They they reveal uh, our, our our inner selves. <laughs> uh, my number five is James Mangold's Logan. Look, did Logan reinvent the wheel? No. But to the 106 people on Letterboxd who gave it half a star, <laughs> get the fuck out of here with your edgy hot take. You know it's a good movie. I've already, we already talked a little bit about it when we discussed it, when I discussed it as the best franchise entry. Uh, so I'll, I'll be brief, but what Logan does so well is actually a little bit of what you talked about with Hall and the film Stronger. 
it, it interrogates what we call heroism. It interrogates what we say is a superhero. Wolverine is not a superhero. He's a guy that you cannot kill who has knives in his hands. That's not a superhero. That's a, a weapon. Mm-hmm. And it interrogates what it means to be a good person, what it means to do an act of heroism. And, yeah, it is riffing on Shane. I mean, it name checks the film. It shows the film within yeah. the film, which, you know, you could call that lazy. I call that really in- interesting metatextual work. Yeah. Um, I-, I call that James Mangold knowing what he's about as a filmmaker because um, I'm like an act. This, uh, Priscilla Page, uh, who's one of my favorite film critics uh, over at Birth Movies Death, did this really great interview with Mangold. Um, and she talked a lot about how every film in his filmography is a Western yeah. in some way, shape, or form, including like Copland and things that yeah. are not obviously Westerns. Um, and that those are the iconographies that speak to him. And he, he takes what is interesting about Western mythology and holds it up close to the superhero genre. And calling Logan unforgiven for superhero movies is not accurate. What's really more accurate is saying the superhero genre is just the current incarnation of the Western. Because what we have a tendency to do in in American filmmaking is keep telling these stories about the good guy with the gun. Um, And that's part of what I liked about The Last Jedi so much. Uh, Heath, my roommate, uh, made this really great point that uh, Luke Skywalker doesn't want to be a good guy with a gun. He wants there to be no guns. What Logan doesn't understand the character... um, Logan, the character, doesn't see there to be any good guys. And he doesn't understand that sometimes he is a good guy. Sometimes being that guy who is better at violence than the bad guys, that makes you the de facto good guy. And you've got to stand up for that sometimes. And and that the film just does such a great job. And again, Hugh Jackman's performance, Mangold's script, and I forget who his his co-screenwriter is because I know he had another uh, writer on that with him. But just everything about that film... Even the spoiler alert uh, heavy of the film turning out to be a clone, which seems so uninteresting, ends up being really narratively fascinating to to (laughs) see this young, darker version of Wolverine being what... Uh, Logan, the character, has always been afraid of the coming, is yeah. a tool of the government, is is just another serial number that does murder for the highest bidder. And that's what he's always been afraid of becoming. And, and it just, just so interestingly weaves this narrative. And I'm telling you right now, final shot of the year, that overturned cross, it just really means so much to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was shocked at how much that film meant to me. And I kept, yeah. I mean, I saw it in March. It's been almost a year now since I saw that film. And I just think about it all the time. And those are, these are, my top five are going to be the films that I can't stop thinking about. Yeah. And I can't stop thinking about Logan because it's so much better than it, than it, you would think. And again, yeah, it's, it's really funny. It's got a great sense of humor. And yeah, the absolute bonkers level of violence in the film does kind of undermine its central point. Uh, that works for me, though. I, I, I like how um, squishy the violence is. I, it is a little cartoony to the point of undermining its point about the morality of violence. But I don't know. I think it kind of helps make the point at times as well. So yeah. um, I, I could talk about the movie for a really long time. So I'll leave it at that. It's my number five. Awesome. What's your number five, Mr. Arthur Gordon? I'm going to go to bat for a little pick that really resonated with me. It, it, it came from a lauded scribe who made his directorial debut in 2017, and it's Wind River uh, with Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. I, I'm so sad I didn't catch uh-huh. up with yeah, Taylor Sheridan's directorial yeah. debut. Uh, I am very much known on this podcast for loving Sicario yes, and Hell or High Water, so it's surprising I didn't catch up with it. Uh, and, and to me... I, 
I know there's some criticism about, I, I think, some of the stuff that happens in the third act. Mm-hmm. But I think the subject matter uh, of putting us in into this place of the indigenous people who have been forsaken for so long by, by the people who took everything from them. And, and, and you talk about, I, I think you talked about it on, um, oh, Oh my goodness, uh, Night of the Hunter, mm-hmm. maybe, or, or we talked about it off air, but uh, oh, the unknown murder is that, is that what it is? Uh, the murder of the the minorities that just gets forgotten oh, about the less dead, the less, less dead. dead. Yeah, I, I, I think it really brings that to the spotlight because the whole mystery, you know, the whole story about is motivated by the death of this uh, Native American girl. Well, and, and this is a very real thing. Uh, it's actually a huge deal in Canada. I mean, yeah. they have these massive numbers of missing First Nations women that just nobody's bothering to solve these yeah. disappearances yeah. and these murders. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, how well Sheridan engages with the, uh, you know, the material and uh, in indigenous issues. But he also gave a lot of money he made to charities that support helping, you know, make the world better yeah. uh, for indigenous populations. So even if he fails, you, you can, it'd be hard to say the guy's heart's not in the right place. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the conversation around the film. It just makes me more excited to see it. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you caught it. Though. Yeah. And yeah, it's far from perfect. And, and maybe there's some problematic stuff with violence and, and the way some things resolve in the end. But I, I still think it's such an enthralling piece. And I still think it's, as a directorial debut, I think it's a very strong work. And, and Sheridan's very good as a writer. Uh, you know, Sicario, I think, is a very strong movie. And, and I missed Hell or High Water, but I heard nothing but praise for it. I liked it a lot. Um, and so I think he he's, does a lot of really good things with Wind River. And, and for some reason, it's just sat with me. Mm-hmm. And, and I keep going back to it in my mind. And so for me, that's why it's going to make my number five pick. Excellent. I like that selection a lot. So we move on. After five comes four. That's how counting works, dear listener. And so... In golf. In, well, in counting in, down. In, okay. In NASA. In subtraction. T minus. <laughs> T minus. T minus. So we're down to number four. That's number next if you're following at home. Um, what is your number four pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart? It is the rare documentary entry for me. Uh, the ah, documentaries don't make my list very often because I don't see a, a lot of them. Um, but it is... The film that made me glad I went to the Dead Center Film Festival in Oklahoma City this year, it is, uh, ooh, I'm going to screw up these names. I'm super sorry. It's Jarius McLeary and Gethin Aldis' documentary, The Work. Uh, I'm just going to read the uh, plot synopsis from Letterboxd because I know a lot of people haven't caught this because it didn't get a big release. Uh, Set entirely inside Folsom Prison, the work follows three men during four days of intensive group therapy with convicts, revealing an intimate and powerful portrait of authentic human transformation that transcends what we think of as rehabilitation. Uh, I think the work is a great pairing with Logan because uh, they both interrogate uh, toxic masculinity in such interesting ways. And in a year... 2017 will be the year of Me Too and of Time's Up, right? I mean, these are the narratives of 2017 is uh, women shouting at the world. In a, and again, I, I'm very trying to be careful with my language because I think this is a great thing. Shouting at the world. Uh, Hollywood's been fucked up for a long time and nobody's been paying attention. And those are important, really important. But what the, the work does, and I feel, I'm going to, I'm trying, guys, I promise my best, everyone listening to this. I'm not trying to make this about me, but what the work does that I have not seen any documentaries engage with is uh, toxic masculinity is bad for everybody. And obviously the conversation needs to be about how it's been bad for women because uh, honestly it's been worse probably. Um, But what the work does is really engage with the ways in which that 
our dads fuck us up uh, is the only way I can think to put it. I mean, it, it is essentially a film, and that really is probably the most emotional I actually was in a film because as many times as I cried during The Last Jedi, I cried for just straight up an hour and a half watching this film because it, it is... I saw so much of myself in every single one of the guys that is uh, followed in this movie. Um, and it just without ever feeling like it's exploiting their struggle, it just lets you be a fly on the wall for these moments in these men's lives that they'll probably remember forever uh, because you get to see legitimate human transformation. You get to see these men work through things that they've been carrying with them for probably their entire lives, uh, things that they haven't been able to let go. Uh, things they haven't been able to let go of, uh, these ideas that they've built up around who they think they're supposed to be, the, 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 what they think being a man means, and how that narrative that we get fed through films uh, like like Logan sometimes. You know, Logan is really smart in the way it interrogates that, but the way is action movies... Um, and again, the film doesn't really have any discourse with film at, as, a, as a whole, but I, I think film is so important in terms of how it, it informs culture that um, it, it's, it's great that a documentary is, is engaging with this. And uh, again, I'm, I'm so, I'm super scared about the way I got into talking about this because of how I framed it in relation to just toxic masculinity at large. So I, I I'm super scared that I, I accidentally fucked up in trying to praise this movie. So if I did, I, I really am sorry. <laughs> I want to make that clear, but man, I just can't stop thinking about this movie. I, I think about it. I've thought about it basically once a week since I saw it. And I just, um, this movie is part of the reason I started going to therapy, honestly, uh, which has been a really great experience for me. Uh, and and I'm glad uh, for this movie. And I just want more people to see it, uh, because it, it does such a great job of letting you have a look at a side, Letting you look into the hearts of, of these guys in, in a way that they probably haven't shown anybody. Uh, they probably haven't shown their 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 siblings, their parents, their partners. Um, you, you are shown human emotion that you don't get to look at because it's so hard to show those wounds sometimes. And it's so hard to admit that your dad fucked you up. I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, again, it, it is hard to admit that... Uh, your failings as a man come from the lessons you received about what it meant to be a man. Uh, so yeah, if, if you've got, uh, if you've got yourself daddy issues and, uh, I assume most of us do, um, it's a hard watch and I'm, I'm letting you know, you need to gird your loins cause it's, it's going to be a rough one, but it, it is powerful and transformative and, uh, essential. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Okay. Arthur Gordon, what is your number four selection for 2017? It is the dear Lady Macbeth. Uh, I love Lady Macbeth. And part of it's just because it's such an interesting narrative. It's just, as you, what, Wuthering Heights means Hitchcock, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and there's, I kept saying it was the Victorian Gone Girl. Um, yes, also that. Uh, because, and it's just fascinating. And Florence Pugh is phenomenal in, in, in the lead role there. And it's just a fascinating story, and it, it felt so different from everything else I'd watched this year up to that point. And, and uh, part of this is I, I like to kind of throw out some of those movies that other people aren't probably gonna, haven't seen yet. And I think Lady Macbeth needs to be seen, and, and, and it does pair so well with The Beguiled, and I like The Beguiled a lot. I, yeah. I really do. Um, but for me, I, I just 
I don't know why, but I like Lady Macbeth just a little more. And uh, it's just an interesting story. And I don't know that it's doing anything terribly new or groundbreaking, but it's the way it's put together, the way it's acted, the way it all falls together. I, I think it's just interesting. I think it's really, really well plotted. I think, yeah, yeah as far as like a just a good thriller that yeah. you don't know where it's going to go, I, I, I it hides its secrets in yeah. plain sight so well. Yeah. And I love that. And, and, and I think part for me. It, with just about any movie, especially a thriller suspense film, it's it's constantly about rising tension and raising the stakes. And I think Lady Macbeth does that very well. And I think it keeps pulling you and pulling you. And it, it culminates in a, in a fairly strong climax, I think. And, mm-hmm. and for me, it, it definitely resonates. And, and I like I liked it a lot. I keep thinking about it quite a bit. Yeah, it's a movie I keep thinking about, too. I like Lady Macbeth a ton. And before I get into my number four pick, uh, I just want to say as a caveat um, in terms of documentary um, that touches on toxic masculinity, as you, as you have mentioned, uh, Dalton, uh, a great film that I saw um, that did make the list um, because it could have been more inventive. It could have been uh, a little bit more groundbreaking. It's, it's produced by Werner Herzog, but the director whose name escapes me right now uh, is a different person. Uh, it's Grey State. Um, it's this uh, documentary about this guy who's making this crazy alt-right libertarian movie. And uh, he ends up murdering his family, and uh, the, it's it just it, you know. And as Herzog uh, has this want to be interested in these kind of characters, these uh, very very strange, broken uh, people like Timothy Treadwell and Grizzly Man, um, it, it just turns out to be this nutso thing of this man being a total sociopath, and really a lot of people just did not know. Uh, the big thing, the big reveal, is that when he does kill his family, uh, he tries to set it up as a a murder by uh, Islamic terrorists, and so he writes in his wife's blood on the wall and says, you know, I'll Akbar. And it's just insane as a movie. And it's very, very interesting. It's on Netflix, um, so I recommend it. Ooh, yeah, that sounds heavy. Yeah, D- Different kind of heavy than the work. Yeah, a very, very different kind. But also that exploration of how toxic masculinity creates these these incredibly dangerous power structures. And uh, and I think that's the point you were making about the work being uh, very valuable in this moment of Me Too. Yeah, it, it interrogates... Uh where that violence perpetrated by men comes from because uh to to fix a problem you have to understand the root of it right absolutely but my number four pick now let's move on into the actual format of what we're doing here the momentary caveat um my number four selection uh is as mother by aronofsky um i really really enjoyed the film and uh i know dalton has said he doesn't want to talk about you know the movie a whole lot but i i really did find it to be this really interesting for me, uh, and there are many ways to read it, and it does have its problems, don't get me wrong, and I think it absolutely is problematic on some levels, but it feels to me like a midrash on the book of Genesis, much like Noah was. Um, not so much an exploration of telling the same story, but sort of telling the whole story of creation um, and doing that in a way that is framed around a very different kind of story. And all that stuff's there. The Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve stuff is all there and uh, whatnot. But really what got me is how the film concludes um, which is probably where a lot of people lose it because the movie seems to go off the rails for a lot of folks at that point, I, it, I, I think, right? That's when it gets most interesting. Oh, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> it's think so, so wild. And, and for me, it is the scandal of grace and forgiveness that uh, really brings the power to the film, that this idea that these people have done these terrible things and to operate that you have to forgive, that you have to operate in some sort of grace towards them is... Um, it, I like is, the way that interrogates how that grace can alienate uh, people who are victimized by yeah, that absolutely, yeah, and, and it, it, it's troublesome. And I will simply just mention uh, my, one of my favorite theologians is a guy called Jurgen Moltmann. And I don't think I've ever talked about him on the 
this show ever. Um, but Jurgen Moltmann was an SS officer in World War II. I think you have talked about him, actually. And, uh, you know, he's a German officer, ends up uh, as a prisoner of war uh, later. I, I don't know if he comes to faith or his faith is renewed or whatever. I don't know his exact spiritual journey um, in terms of his relationship to Christianity. But um, he ends up being one of the great sort of Western proponents of liberation theology and uh, the defense of the weak. But also he at the same time takes as much of a strong sense of saying that the, the God of forgiveness is a God of forgiveness for both victims and victimizers. And that it, you have to say both of those things if you're going to talk about this sort of, again, scandalous sort of nature of grace. And uh, that was really, really moving for me. And uh, so as, as a sort of a theological reflection, it is it's probably the most spiritual film of uh, 2017 uh, for sure for me. And it's just a movie I really, really enjoyed in the way that it wrestles with it and retells that story in sort of different frames. And, and uh, yeah, and yes, are there other problematic stuff? Yeah, absolutely there are. But – it's a movie that I just – man, I, I could watch again. I could watch again a lot, and uh, it is fun to pick apart. And as you said, Dalton, it is a, sort of a film lover's film and uh, that you know, you got layers and you got – I mean because it, it is – it, inti- it intentionally alienates its audience Yes, at every turn, which uh, yeah, if you're not game for that, totally fair. I mean that's, that's not fun. But, guys, I just want you to all know that that sink is not braced. That sink is not braced. And we need to make sure we keep that in mind. Oh, man. Jennifer Lawrence in that movie makes me so anxious because I, I, I relate so hard to her just, like, trying to keep people from destroying her house. Every time I've ever thrown a party, I turn into Jennifer Lawrence. Or you host a podcast. Well, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> we'll call him A. We'll call him B. So, well, there you go. That's our number four selections. Moving on. Number next is number three. Uh, I go to you first, Dalton. What's your number three pick for 2017? Well, after all that talk uh, about uh, how uh, our relations with our fathers break us on the work, I do want to say some nice things about my dad. Uh, I, I've been very lucky in my life to uh, to have a great adopted dad uh, who likes going to the movies with me, and I like going to the movies with him. And uh, the, the film, I, I don't know if we went and saw any other movies together, just me and him this year, but one that we did was... Blade Runner 2049. Uh, as a, we've talked about, these lists are very personal, and that's a big part of why I think about this film so much. That's all with my dad, and we both were just enraptured from the get-go. Um, what I want to speak to, Arthur's already mentioned that, you know, these these ideas that it presents are not that groundbreaking, and he's totally right. I mean, I agree with you, Arthur. I, I think what works about it, why I prefer it over uh, uh, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner is whereas really Scott's Blade Runner is you know interested in these ideas about mortality and, and long, human longevity, what twenty forty nine is much more engaged with is personhood and sentience and who gets to decide who's important. Um, just like uh, the Last Jedi interrogates you know the the, the place of the Skywalkers and the, the the mythology of Star Wars, what I think twenty forty nine does in a really interesting way is interrogates. Uh, revolutionary figureheads and it interrogates the idea that there's a most important person in a struggle uh, and upends and subverts that in really interesting ways and just says no you don't have to not every story is actually about you and that's okay because you're you're still you um there's been, been a lot of conversations around what how how well certain relationships in the film work um and we could talk about that a lot but uh, i just i think every the only real misstep for me in that, that film is Jared Leto, who just doesn't really belong in that movie. Everything else uh, is working so well, and I'm not quite sure about his character or his performance. But uh, his henchman or henchwoman, uh, I forget the actress's name, but uh, the, the replicant that's chasing uh, uh, 
Ryan Gosling's character throughout the, throughout the film. She's amazing. Uh, Joy, that that character, a character that there's been a lot of conversation about. Um, I, I think that is the linchpin of the movie is Joy and Kay's relationship and how they set their own terms for who they are and you know what their existence means to them. And, and I think that's what works so well for me is it takes these big heady ideas and grounds them in emotional stories. And just like the work is a film I can't stop thinking about. I Every time I try to talk myself out of liking 2049, um, I can't because it hit me where I live so much. And again, might've been because I saw it with my dad, I, but this story of that, that interrogates ideas about the necessity of violence and revolution, the necessity of compromising what you know is right for the greater good. Uh, and again, a lot of the stuff comes into the third act. Uh, I'm trying to be vague in case you haven't caught up with it because based on the box office, a lot of people didn't. Um, and I kind of like that. I like the, uh, the fact that, uh, it didn't do well because of course it didn't do well. The first Blade Runner didn't do well. It's a cult movie. And then they pumped like $200 million into making this, this beautiful, gorgeous feast for the eyes. Uh, and nobody went and saw it, which is kind of, kind of crazy. And, uh, uh, just a, a real bad uh, bit of studio calculus uh, to think that you could make uh, a movie that expensive uh, based on a or that's a sequel to a, a notorious box office bomb and think it was going to do well, which is uh, kind of delightful to me. Uh, and why I think it, it belongs in, in lists of the best films of 2017 because it will go down as the prettiest movie that nobody saw. Uh, but man, it just really resonates with me on, on such a deep level. Uh, there, there's a scene um, towards the end of the film where uh, Kay has this encounter with this this revolutionary group and has to really weigh these choices that are being presented to him. Uh, and he chooses the third option. And I, I'm all about uh, films that uh, present uh, characters with a, a binary choice. And they say, I refuse. I, I reject your premise. I, I reject the idea that I don't have a choice in this. Uh, and that's what the entire film is about, is about Kay saying, I reject the premise that I'm not real because I know that I'm real. And that's all any of us know. All you can know at the end of the day is that you're real um, because you say so. And that's the only proof that you have. And sometimes that's enough. Um, and that, that's what bothers me about the, the conversations around this film about, you know, Joy, uh, because she's my favorite character in the movie. And I, it kind of upsets me that uh, I, I can't. I feel like I can't quantify uh, what works for me about that character to people sometimes. Um, but I, I just really, really love that character very deeply. And, and the fact, uh, the, the choices that she makes for love, regardless of whether or not her love comes from programming or from self-awareness, uh, they stop being relevant at a certain point. And I think that that is what's interesting about 2049 is it takes these ideas about AI and says, yeah, at a certain point, it's out of your hands. At a certain point, it's, you know, dog explaining the internet to dogs at a certain point you don't get to say whether or not a thing is real or not just because you created it doesn't mean you get to put your stamp on whether or not it's real and it takes those ideas and applies them to parenthood and to um the choices that we make the the existential dilemmas that define us um so that that is my defense of 2049 arthur is it's not the the ideas it's the emotion that it weaves throughout those ideas because where uh blade runner uh 1982's Blade Runner is really cerebral. I, I think this film is much more spiritual. And as, as Dustin said, you know, the Mother was one of the most spiritual films of the year for you. I, I also had a, a strong spiritual connection to that, but for different reasons. Uh, 2049, surprisingly enough, really resonates with me on a very deep spiritual level. 
um, for reasons that I don't want to ruin in case you actually haven't caught up with it yet. And it, you don't need me to toot uh, Denis Villeneuve's horn. I've put basically every movie he's ever made in uh, my top lists uh, since he's been, uh, since Prisoners, really. Um, but I just can't stop thinking about it. And uh, I'll always think about my dad when I think about Blade Runner 2049. So it is my number three. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Hey, uh, Arthur, did you have a number three or did you stop at four? Uh, I found my number three down in Mississippi. Uh, I don't know, but maybe we'll, uh, maybe we already talked about it, but it's Mudbound. Ah. Oh, man. Yeah. Mudbound's good. <laughs> Mudbound. And you can listen to that episode to hear us talk more in depth about Mudbound. Um, but to me, it is a, a, a startlingly beautiful movie. It is just gorgeously shot film. Uh, and it's so layered and it's so nuanced in, in its cinematography and in its set design and in the mise en scene uh, that De Reese is using to establish the land itself becomes a character in that film and, and is so vital to reinforcing the themes that are at play in the film and the way that she intertwines this narrative and makes this almost poetic literary work out of a film. It's fascinating to to see come to uh, fruition and it's just filled with great performances and it's filled with just powerful thematic work that I think is very important today and resonates still to this day. Um, but for me, it, it just hit and, and, and I was fascinated. I was so drawn into this narrative of these two families that I, I, I could have spent hours with and just hearing those stories and seeing them play out. And it's so constructed. I never grew tired of it. And for a movie that had so much going on to, for it to never lose track of, of any of those pieces to me, it all just came together in, in, in this kind of perfect storm piece that just works so well that demands to be seen. And, and, and for me, Mudbound's going to land at number three. It's really interesting as you were talking, I realized that uh, I, those are a lot of the things that I like about Blade Runner 2049, right? And they're, they're both films that uh, engage with something we were talking about earlier is uh, characters who are dying to find hope in a hopeless world in both of those films. And they're both films that like present this world that's so fully realized that it really does help propel the film. So it's it's interesting to me that I, I wouldn't have thought about those films uh, as having that much in common yeah. offhand, but as you were talking, I was like, damn, these really do relate to each other in really yeah. strong ways. Yeah. Dustin, what's your number three? My number three comes from the land of Portugal. Um, it's a Portuguese film called The Ornithologist. Okay. Uh, an ornithologist is one who studies birds. Thank you. And uh, yeah. I've, I've learned about proctology and I've learned about ornithology tonight. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm an educated guy. Yeah. I'm educated. And uh, so it basically follows this character who is, uh, his name is Fernando. He is uh, out in the woods uh, of North Portugal, South Spain, right there on the border. And he is uh, looking for a particular sort of breed of black stork. And uh, while this is all going on, he uh, has a phone call. Um, he's reminded by whoever it is, a loved one, a family member, a lover, we don't know, uh, to be sure he takes his medicine. And uh, at some point, he wrecks his kayak, perhaps stops taking his medicine, or perhaps sees crazy things. We don't know which, and it doesn't really matter. And it ends up becoming this uh, strange following of uh, the life of St. Anthony. Huh. And uh, and a Anthony famously died of ergotism, uh, he um, and with the hallucinations and all the stuff that goes along with all of that. And uh, so it becomes a sort of trial like this. It's also framed where uh, a couple of the people that he meets are two Chinese uh, 
tourists, pilgrims on the on the Camino uh, Santiago, uh, walking the way across Spain to this uh, very famous church uh, there on the uh, coast of Spain. Uh, that's the sort of uh, the plot point for the film The Way, which we looked at uh, I don't know a couple years ago now. Um, also, I think of Louis Bunuel's The Milky Way, in which uh, the uh, as the traveler goes along, he sees all these various uh, Christian heretics and heresies at work. It is for the exploration that Bunuel has, but what the exploration ends up being in this film is something of a, uh, a queer awakening uh, for this character, and he ends up meeting a character called Jesus, um, um, Jesus, perhaps. Uh, but w- I mean, it's definitely sort of a Christ character who is uh, the shepherd of goats. It turns out. Uh, the, I'll tell you this: that this is, there's so many crazy set pieces. Um, these women they try to uh, bind him up and kidnap him and castrate him at one point. Uh, we meet Jesus, who is uh, suckling from a goat, um, and then there is a gay sex scene. That follows that, and then there are these crazy, weird, ritualistic people dancing around throughout. He has a conversation with fish. I, I, I could, there, there's so many bizarre vignettes uh, to this film. This sounds great. <laughs> it is, it is fantastic. I mean, I really like this movie. That's why it's number three. Uh, but it, it, it is again, it is sort of a story about a queer awakening also framed around religious uh, sort of iconography. It is uh, in some ways a a very heretical uh, approach to that story, but I like the way it turns it on its head, and I like the vision that the filmmaker is putting forward, and I like the way that it's exploring um, sexuality in terms of spirituality as well. And so it is is very much a a sexual awakening film with uh, this sort of spiritual framework draped upon it, but it's really well done. It's really brilliantly told. Um, and I, I won't give you a lot of the sort of uh, ways in which it turns. Uh, Jesus appears again, but there's another character. Uh, this character is called Thomas, and you've got to trust and believe now, Thomas, that I'm on your side. And so this doubting Thomas sort of figure begins to frame in. And just this idea of how do you find life and love, how do you deal with who you are when you're alone on pilgrimage when you have these moments of self-exploration and it's framed in this very sort of hallucinogenic, you know, delirious uh, sort of manner. And it's just a really, really brilliant film uh, that nobody saw and uh, really, really should see. It's available on Netflix, uh, free streaming uh, for you all if you have a Netflix subscription. But I recommend The Ornithologist, which no one saw uh, very, very highly. So I hope maybe I've turned some minds around with that. So we move on, though, to number two, which is what happens after three. Um, this is this this episode brought to you by the number two. And so I go to you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you? What was the second best film of 2017, in your opinion? It is a little film that I was just dying to see, and I missed it in theaters, and I was having a hard time finding it on DVD. I had to go to Family Video to rent it. Um, but it is Brigsby Bear. Ah. Brigsby oh, Bear. Brigsby Bear is so good. I'm so glad somebody's talking about it. I, uh, I And I, I, honestly, I could have used uh the best uh premise uh category it's to talk f- about this it is a fabulous concept because it is it is it's a, it's a fantastic setup and it's an interesting discussion of of tragedy and, and dealing with emotion and catharsis um as Kyle Mooney tries to grapple with with 
this experience that he's yeah. been through in, in a way he doesn't fully understand. It, it, trauma defining you isn't always a bad thing. Yeah. And, and, and it's got so much heart and so much emotion. And, and Kyle Mooney is fantastic. And he is surrounded by a wonderful cast. It's the most surprising thing about the movie, yeah, is Kyle Mooney, who is uh, known for his really, like, kind of out there bonkers alt comedy that he does on SNL, just giving a really heartfelt performance. Yeah. And it's just really, it's, it's firing on all cylinders and it's definitely hitting all the right spots for me. Um, but it, it takes a premise that couldn't have worked and maybe shouldn't have worked at times and does something magical and very special with it. And, uh, speaks to the power of, of family and relationships and support systems and finding them where you may not expect them. And, and it works as a fish out of water film and it works on a number of levels and it needs to be seen. And I think it is, is definitely one of the best movies of 2017. All right. Strongly well. agree. It uh, very narrowly did not make my top 10. So yeah. I'm glad you talked about it. All right. I, I want to check that out. Uh, it's a movie that's definitely in my gaps that I want to check out yeah. as well. So, Dalton, what's your number two selection for 2017? My number two selection is uh, whether it is going to make anybody else's uh, top ten tonight, and I don't think it is. Uh, I, I think you would be hard-pressed to argue that it's not the film of 2017. It is Jordan Peele's Get Out, um, it, both in terms of just absolute uh, – barn burning success it hit my number six i like it a lot yeah i mean it's a great film but uh, what what a perfect time uh and you know jordan could not have predicted how 2016 was going to go down when he was making this film uh it would have been timely either way though it's a story that does not stop being timely because we keep making the same mistakes and uh, we, I mentioned uh, film zigging when you think they're going to zag earlier and this is a film that does that at every turn um and just does such a great job of quantifying a thing that is hard to talk about. It is it is hard to explain why um, certain forms of racism are just as insidious, uh, if not more insidious than other forms of racism, um, while also being really funny and also deeply upsetting and deeply terrifying uh, and psychologically unnerving and existentially earth shattering. And also gets to have uh, moments of triumph. Uh, it gets it has these great uh, patterns that it. Fall, I mean, it just does such a great job of setting up everything that happens. Every moment of victory, every moment of defeat is telegraphed earlier in the film, uh, and that is strong thriller, uh, strong horror writing. And you know, let's just. Go, it is a horror movie. I don't know why we always have to pretend that great horror movies aren't horror movies. We keep calling it sociological thrillers, or I keep seeing weird made-up genres it's used. A to, horror it's movie. a horror movie, absolutely, and that's okay. And Jordan Peele made a great horror movie. And I don't know if it's because people don't want to like a horror movie, or they don't want to say that a comedian made a great horror movie, but he made the best horror movie of 2017 um, using a background in comedy. Um, and you know, Jordan, Jordan, and it's very funny. The movie is very oh, it's, funny. Yeah, at times. yeah. Uh, oh man, and just. You don't need me to tell you to see Get Out. You've probably seen it because most of the world uh, has seen it at this point. But, yeah, no, it's it's so good. Uh, just ever Lil Ray Howery is so funny. But then you've got these moments with Lakeith Stanfield that are just really upsetting. Uh, Allison Williams just really – her performance is so integral to certain – 
plot beats working. Uh, and then uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who if you uh, have been uh, on the Black Mirror wagon for a while, you already knew about, uh, just gets to have this great star-making turn and is also in uh, Sicario, uh, which came up earlier. Uh, wouldn't be a top top year uh, recap if I didn't mention Sicario. Um, just everything about it works so well. Uh, and yeah, it is a deeply unpleasant and hard to watch, but also navigates those things that are hard to watch in ways that are really entertaining and gives gives people uh, lessons uh, that they need to hear um, and reminds people of things that they already know. Um, so yeah, it, it is the movie of 2017. Uh, it, it is not my, my top pick, but it, it was in very tight contention with my number one. Um, but yeah, I who you I don't need to talk about Get Out anymore. You know it's great. Uh, but I just wanted to remind you that it is. Well, thank you for that reminder. It's very important that we receive it. Uh, my number two selection is uh, The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, man. I uh, love that movie so much. I mean, I love the way it is a love letter to The Creature from the Black Lagoon. I love the way it's a love letter, love letter to, uh, like, uh, Jean Vigo and uh, Jean Cocteau, uh, French cinema. I, I, I love the way in which it is this radical anti-fascist uh, sort of messaging. I love the way in which it is a queer film. I love the way in which it is a retelling of the story of the Book of Ruth and a recapturing of Guillermo del Toro's uh, Catholicism up and against its own uh, sort of prejudices and I guess Protestantisms as well, um, just general Christianities. Um, the way in which it does those things, I think it's deeply moving. I think it's beautifully shot. I I just it is it is and it's it's crazily erotic in ways that are you know strange and disturbing. I, he really dips right back heavily into uh, his surrealism, uh, which is a thing that I used to write about quite a lot when I first began my film scholarship career. And I said this in the review that I gave um, on uh, our website when I got a chance to see the preview screening for the film that it is uh, my Guillermo del Toro is back. I mean, I like Pacific Rim and I like Blade Two and you know and I I liked Crimson Peak. Even. But that he really is back to doing the Pan's Labyrinth, the Hellboy 2, um, the Devil's Backbone kind of filmmaking uh, that began his career that, that caused me to fall in love uh, with him as a filmmaker and his style. And uh, the performances in this film are just lights out amazing. Um, and uh, Richard Jenkins doesn't get nearly enough mention in all this as well. I mean, I know he got a nomination, um, but man, I, he kills me. Um, in this film. I mean, he really just nails all the places. Sally Hawkins is amazing. Uh, Doug Jones, as you know, can just do anything in prosthesis. Uh, Michael Shannon um, is excellent at being odious, and uh, yeah, he does that well. I mean, he's, he's a hateful man, and easy to be hated. Uh, but man, I... Man, The Shape of Water and we is had, great. You, yeah, and you haven't even talked about the the amazing side story that is Octavia Spencer and her uh, husband, yeah, she, which Octavia's is just killing it. Yeah. Well, that, that story is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Th this other, you know, there, there's three marriages in this film. Uh, well, two marriages and then one deep love, but just the ways in which it interrogates all these other romantic relationships mm -hmm. is so fascinating. And, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. It's got layers and it's got this moment that is meta and crazy and weird that I think a lot of people probably hate it. I don't know. I, I try to avoid like a lot of the scholar, the, not scholarship, the criticism, uh, sort of stuff, uh, you know, the think pieces and, and whatnot that happened, uh, with regard to this film. But there's this, uh, sort of dreamy moment, um, that Sally Hawkins, character has that I understand that it, I, I watched this. And I went, Oh man, I it was bet. awesome. 
Oh, good. Loved it. I, I bet you there I are... Think, I think most people probably were there for it. Okay, I hope so, because, man, it was... I was all... I mean, I was all in already. Dance scene I, of the year. I was like, man, this is incredible. Where has this been my whole... I didn't know I wanted or needed this, but I did. And it just made my life. And so I, I like I like Shape of Water a ton. So yeah. uh, that, those are my thoughts on that. Just uh, made me think of uh, Oscar Isaacs and Ex Machina. <laughs> Watch him tear up this fucking dance floor, dude. Check it out. <laughs> Guys, so, it's time. Yeah, we're here. We've only been here for three days. <laughs> <laughs> if but, you made it through, we're proud of you. Yeah. Hey, thanks for sticking. Listener, uh, we know this has been really long, but uh, we hope you've had as much fun as we have. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of shows try to pare these episodes down and cut it out, but uh, we like we like to let you enjoy the fat with us. You know, there's there's a lot of digressions and uh, wormholes that we go through on uh, on this list. Uh, I hope you've had as much fun as we have, listener. But it's 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 time to, to bring it all to an end. That's yep. right. Here we are at the end of all things. See you Num- next week. Number. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's it. And if you want to hear our number, number one, one. <laughs> no. Oh goodness. Dustin Art- insists. Arthur Gordon, tell us what is the number one. What is the best film of 2017? Dalton set me up quite a bit uh, throughout the show, and and so I, I don't know that there's much more I can say about it. I was doing my best. I didn't want to. I knew. I knew. I had a feeling it was going to be your number one. But uh, the the main reason is one you 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 can't equate with it and you say that you can't stop thinking about it i won't stop thinking about it and it's it's logan and it's 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 a movie that it's it's the one movie that has contextualized the relationship i had with my dad Mm. and my dad was logan my dad was this angry man who had lost hope and had been filled with pain and been filled with grief and was so miserable. And when when this child came into his life at, at kind of the dawn of his life or dusk of his life, I should say, he 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 found enough to to keep going for for a little while. And when he pushed everybody else away, he held close to that kid and, and I know that I share that blood that's filled with anger and filled with that pain. And I share that DNA and and it weighs on me that I have to be careful where I tread and how I handle that. Um, because being a knife, knife, a walking weapon can be dangerous, and, and and to be able to walk with that and figure out how to balance that is very important. And more than anything, all the things you say Dalton ring true for me. All all the narrative constructs about the film work, but but on a deeply personal level, it's a movie that maybe I've been looking for for a long time that can put those pieces into play uh, emotionally for me to, to kind of have a catharsis in, in some ways. Um, you know, I, I lost my dad, you know, before I graduated college and uh, before he saw me get married and graduate and things like that. And to... 
kind of be able to use this film to have a, a catharsis and, and a piece in, in some ways um, really cemented it in the top spot pretty early on. And, yeah. and, and there are easily other movies I could put in on top of it. Right. And um, at the end of the day, this is a, a emotion filled and fueled uh, list and, and none of it rings more true than, than Logan, um, which I had emblazoned on my arm um, it's a great tattoo. It's and, a great tattoo. And, and inside that Wolverine claws, that little X twenty three hand that uh, represents me, mm. and uh, coping with that shadow and 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 coming to terms with that shadow and, and something I still wrestle with daily and 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 you know as I look forward to a family of my own and Logan Logan hits the hits me right in the heart and so it's my number one film of the year man that's uh, thank you for that arthur yeah, yeah. seriously man and, and that oh. that's why we do this stuff I yeah mean, man that's why talking about movies is so important is because it's not just about you know evaluating craft and those kind of things it, it's about the ideas that make your soul spin you know and whatever whatever way that is you know whatever part of that uh, of, of your life it is so thanks for sharing that and uh man it's a, it's a it's a great rationale and it's a great movie i mean i like logan a lot and dear listener uh you keep watching we'll keep talking and we'll see you <laughs> next time <laughs> there it is <laughs> all right so dalton let's go ahead and hear your number one pick for 2017 i do i have to do i have to follow that yeah you do all right um man arthur thank you for that so much I, it just made me think more about uh not being scared of defending Blade Runner is a movie that I love a lot because mm-hmm. I, all those things that you said, I um, I resonate with Kay. Uh, it's easy to get obsessed with lineage and paternity, and um, sometimes you got to find mentors where you find them. And sometimes, sometimes it spoiler alert. Sometimes it turns out Harrison Ford isn't your dad. Sometimes he's just some cagey old dude who's gonna show you how to be a better person than you thought you could be. So. Uh, I feel you, buddy. Um, my number one pick is uh, Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird um, for some very similar reasons to why Logan is Arthur's number one. Um, do, would I watch Blade Runner 2049 again before I watch Lady Bird again? Probably. But Lady Bird makes me think about my mom and my sister. Yeah. And there are not a lot of movies that capture that relationship uh, quite so well. And yeah. I see so much of my mom and Laurie Metcalf's character. I really do. And I see so much of my sister and Lady Bird. And the way that those two characters interact and the way that they love each other and have such a hard time expressing their love for each other, I, I, that that family reminds me so much of my family in, in ways that I just haven't seen any other film do in a really long time. And Greta Gerwig yeah. captures... A time in my, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm younger than Greta Gerwig, obviously, but I, I, I was coming of age in that same time that she's directing Lady Bird about. So I see myself in Lady Bird because I'm, I'm closer in her age, but I also see myself in her brother. You know, I see myself as in, in the role of that brother who is staying at home because he knows that he has to be a peacemaker. Uh, well, he thinks he has to be a peacemaker when in reality he doesn't have to. Yeah. His mom and his sister are going to figure it out, yeah. and. Uh, and yeah, it's also the movie that I watched uh, the day that I proposed to Dr. Becca. I mean, it's mm-hmm. always going to be a powerful film for me because it's going to make me think about the three most important women in my life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just 
every moment of that rings so true to me. Uh, the one that I love the most uh, is when they're at the thrift store dress shopping yeah. and they're in the middle of a fight and then they go, oh, it's such a be- – that's it. That's the one. And I just yeah. – I mean, I, I, anybody who, who has uh, lived in a house where uh, a mom and a sister have a contentious relationship, I, I think if you haven't caught up with Lady Bird, I, I think you're doing yourself a disservice, especially if that's if that's a relationship that – just hearing about it rings true to you. I think you're really going to glean a lot from that film, um, especially if there's somebody in your life that you love deeply and have a hard time understanding. I think what Greta Gerwig captures so well is what it's like to be Lady Bird, to be uh, that teenage girl who just is mad at a lot of people and doesn't really know why and, and, and just wants to express herself and doesn't understand why people are so irritated with the way she expresses herself. And I mean, it's a film that made me better understand my, my mom, my sister, just like I, I had to call uh, or text Becca. She was, I can't remember why I didn't call her. Just like I had to get in contact with uh, uh, Becca after I saw Shape of Water. I called my sister when I got out of Lady Bird and I was like, Hey, I know you're going to see this tomorrow, but uh, I just need you to know that I love you. And uh, mm. I'm really excited to see what you think about it. Um, or maybe she had already seen it. I, the point is, I had to talk to my sister about Lady Bird literally the second I got out of that theater. Um, so yeah, it's my number one. Um, and uh, it, it is a, a beautiful, powerful film, and I'm so excited to see what Greta Gerwig does next. Excellent, excellent. I like that selection a lot, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, my number one selection is a, a little French film that um, did get some buzz. It did make a bunch of top fives and uh, throughout uh, the sort of filmy world, and it's Nocturama. Is, uh, so imagine Battleship Potemkin meets Spring Breakers meets Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, I'm, I'm sold. Okay, I mean, that's that's really what we're talking about here. It, it's this film, it's a group of young terrorist anarchist uh i heard yeah, okay yep i rem- okay i have heard of this i knew the and, title sounded familiar and they um they they plot this huge terrorist bombing because they want to throw overthrow the world and the government and uh, they have connections to be able to stay uh, overnight to sort of hide out while they're in a uh, a huge mall right and uh, so much of the sort of same kind of mall behavior that you see in Dawn of the Dead is going on as Potemkin insofar as this sort of radical overthrow kind of thing. It's Spring Breakers insofar as they're so enmeshed in popular culture uh, throughout. And uh, and it's, it's this idea that they desperately don't want to get caught, and yet they want everyone to know what they did. They, uh, it, it, I mean, it's just – it's all of those sort of like tenuous things where you think, man, the system's broke. Let's do something about it. And it's pointing out that if you simply just lash out, it may not – not go quite the way that you expect, and the ways in which we are enmeshed in culture may prevent any real sort of, uh, you know, anarcho-syndicalist break from being really possible. And uh, so, it's got a whole lot of going on uh, with it. It's just visually very interesting. It's very elliptical in the way it tells its story, um, and it's quite cynical. But I like that about it uh, because I think we do need sort of hard truths to dream better and to hope more. And so um, I, I like that cynicism a little bit in it because it it's not very well thought out. And uh, so there's something going on there. But they are also quite able to do things well. And um, I will tell you this: simply one arresting image. So there are many things they. Blame 
blow up, but there is a golden sort of statue of Joan of Arc that they set on fire. I don't know how you burn a, a gold statue, but the burning face of Joan of Arc appears several times uh, throughout the film, and it is a arresting image that I keep on thinking about. And these characters are very interesting in what they do in their lives. There is also some uh, interesting bits of background that you never get and you sort of surmise and guess. But at one point, one character does a drag review show um, singing a cover of uh, My Way, which is amazing. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. So, uh, yeah, Spring Breakers meets Dawn of the Dead meets Battleship Potemkin. You get the film Nocturama. And, man, blew my socks off. It's just, again, that sort of amazing potential that cinema gets, that has, that it has, that so few times we find it being tapped into. And so it's a really, really well-made film. And, I again, hardly anybody saw it, but everybody should. Nocturama is my favorite film of 2017 for those reasons. Do we, do we do it? Is that it? We, we, we did it. Uh, preemptively, I'm going to go ahead and name the best film of 2018, Liam Neeson's The Commuter. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's going to be padding it, too. It's also the only film from 2018 I've seen so far. Well, I've seen two this year, and it's definitely in the lead. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the did like the horse movie, huh? It was all right. <laughs> it was a movie. It was made a movie. Now, the Samson movie is going to be the greatest movie of 2018, <laughs> hey, obviously. Don't knock it till you try it. I mean, I don't have to. I have, I have yeah. no idea what uh, I just love that they made was. one of those... Uh, those cutout things so you can put your head on Samson's body. Oh, man. I love that they did that. What I really hope is A Wrinkle in Time turns out to be amazing instead of just the ball of trash it looks like it's going to end Do you think? Being. I think it looks great. Uh, hey, man. have faith in Ava. Uh, yeah, man. And Ava we trust. I, I, I got a feeling, guys. I, I got a feeling it's going to be bad. I'm really excited wanna, to see I believe. what she can do. I believe. I Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm bummed that uh, it worked out because she was tapped to do Black Panther before. Uh, Ryan Coogler, and I, I think she dropped out to do Wrinkle in Time, but uh, I hope so, man. But I, I'm because I want it to be good. I love the novel, so oh really? Yeah. I see. I've, I didn't know that. I, I'm vaguely aware of it, but I, I, I feel don't like, read a lot. I feel like we're gonna have another Chronicles of Narnia kind of thing. Uh, that that's that's the sensation I'm getting. I have hope. I hope so. Maybe, maybe, but we shall see. We shall see. It's gonna be a great year, dear listener, and we hope you uh, check it out with us. If you happen to be a Patreon contributor, you can listen to our 2018 uh, New Year's resolutions and uh, find out that information about us. And uh, just keep on keeping on with us. But we started. This is month. our film resolutions to, uh, to clarify, not that, our, not our resolutions correct. to work out more. No, no. Who cares about that? Um, well, I do. I want to know how you're doing. I, I'm, I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of Patreon, I guess we got to talk about next week's That's film. That's what I was right? going to say. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess. I guess so. Huh. We have a long overdue uh, Patreon sponsored pick from Mister Keith and Smith, um, and uh, I have that in the envelope. And Dalton, you only have yourself to blame for this one. Ah shit. Um, actually, I think we're all going to enjoy this one. It may be a little uh, bit of joy and uh, happiness as we watch Hayao Miyazaki's. Princess Mononoke. Yeah! Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, no, I I, I brought this on myself by telling Keith and uh, I don't care about anime basically every day that I've met him because <laughs> literally since the first day I met him, he's trying to talk to me about anime. I'm just like, buddy, I don't care. And every time he, I, he makes convert, me watch yeah. one, yeah, I like him every time. Yeah. So I'm excited. Uh, it's a big blind spot for me. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I'm I, excited. Here's the thing. As much shit as I talk, I have yet to watch uh, uh a piece of anime uh, that Keith and recommended that I didn't like. Yeah. So uh, I, I look forward he's to He's got that. a good track record. Yeah, man. He, he's got good taste. He, he, he likes some weird stuff, but uh, the, the guy's got good taste. So, uh, Keithan, 
I look forward to watching this for you. And uh, listener, there you go. If you if you want to force your taste upon me, I will probably end up liking it because I'm I'm pretty easy. Honestly. If you're ready to make Dalton watch Dances with Wolves, you know what to do. Not oh my god, I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> I'm gonna be so mad. At you. you know why he'll be mad because he likes I'm, it. At I'm, the, I'm not gonna. Oh, I'm so mad. Deep down, he wants to watch Kevin Costner dance with wolves. If you make me watch a three-hour-plus movie, listener, I will find you, and I'm gonna make you watch. Both of the Matrix sequels, while you listen to me explain why they're good. So do they do the cha-cha slide, or is it more of a foxtrot? Uh, they um, tend to do the Charleston, it turns out, yeah. yeah. Well, daylight come, and I want to go home. <laughs> I want to go home. So, listener, yeah, let's go. Yeah, you keep watching. We're going to keep talking, honest, and we'll see you all next time. Almost heaven. West Virginia. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genre Cast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For all things Good Trash, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music is a supercut of music from Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL score to Wonder Woman, with uh, a curated list of film clips from one Mr. Arthur Gordon. And our outro music this week is the film song of the year, John Denver's Country Roads. West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home, Country Roads. All my memories gather round her, miner's lady, stranger to blue water. Taste of moonshine, teardrop in my eye.